get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is a ball back to left field Gurry out of the wall goodbye it is a route in game four alongside Alex and T-Bone I'm BK that's what it sounded like last night on Fox as the Rangers just blitzkrieged the wow. Arizona Diamondbacks they Let's have still not up. lost on the road in the postseason which is just an absurd statistic and most of it last night came from two guys it was the two guys that they spent crazy amounts of money on over the last couple of off seasons. It was Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Seager, once again, just like he did in 2020 when the Dodgers were able to get their World Series during the fake COVID season, he's putting together another all-time great postseason performance, Alex. He's probably going to be the MVP of this World Series, and he's going to be more than deserving of that honor. But let's not overlook what Marcus Simeon did last night. He had the home run that basically put this game away. And when you look at what the final score was, they needed that those insurance runs that came from his home run. When you look at what those guys have provided for the Rangers this year, you look at the defense, you look at the offense, everything that they provide in terms of the leadership as well, and there have been plenty of stories written about them over the last few days. That's what the Cardinals need on the pitching side of things. And Alex, earlier today, Derek Gould had this in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Quote, internally, the Cardinals expect to do this winter for pitching pursuits what they chose not to do over the past two off-seasons in the shortstop sweepstakes spending is not the only way to build a contender but when it comes to pursuing premium positions such as shortstop and pitching it is the most expedient way to do so end quote alex the cardinals should be going out this offseason and doing what the rangers did in the offseason two years ago by going out and getting getting not one but two premier free agent pitchers yeah i just went and looked at this just to overall the how they've gone over these last three years with team payroll and you were 22nd 15th and then this year you're top five you're third in major league baseball about the rangers yeah okay. pay, rangers in payroll yeah like, Obvious, obviously the not the cardinals obviously not the cardinals but I, I mean in that sense you went from being fifth the texas rangers were speaking of not the cardinals fifth in the oh, al west fourth in the al west and then this year second and you're in a world series so yeah 
they they realized what we've seen over these last couple of years that the Dodgers have done, that the Braves have done, that the Phillies have done, teams that the Houston Astros have done, teams that are in the World Series are making noise in it. Oh, they spend money. And the Texas Rangers over a couple of years, yeah, they had to wait for some of their guys to develop. But then once they realized that the offense is at least forming into the way we wanted to, you strike when the iron's hot. You yep. get Marcus Simeon. You get Corey Seager. You go out there and get Jacob DeGrom. You go out there and sign some of these other free agent pitchers, and then you become the aggressive team. Now, I don't know if this is going to be anything like what the Houston Astros had, where you're dominant for three to five years, and you find yourself there year after year. It's much more similar to what the uh, Cubs did in 2016. Yeah. I think they're a better team than the Cubs were then, but that's the kind of roster. But you hope you could keep it alive longer than what Absolutely. the Cubs could keep it alive. But you know how you did that? By spending money on talented players. So I'm glad at least Eric Gould is reporting that the Cardinals say they've learned from their mistakes. But once again, ho-hum, I'm going to stand here, read this article, and say, sure, Cardinals, let's see what you look like in February. Yeah, and, and the Rangers are the team that the Cardinals, they're Seager and Simeon, not making the same money, is their Goldschmidt and Arnado. They've got that part yep. down. The part that they've got to do is they've Minus got the to spend. the October performance. Okay, it's, it's three <laughs> games. They're gonna, it's gonna, oh, goalies, yeah, short sample size, goalies sorry. Goalies win an NLCS this year. Mark it and down. See, by the way. Simeon had been terrible up until last night yeah, in the postseason. He played pretty well he's been night. good defensively, don't get me wrong, but offensively he's been having some real struggles so far. Yeah, they just got to build the rotation like the Rangers did because you, you don't have anybody internally that's going to be taking any jobs. You got to be willing to pay the premium on pitching, and that is where it's going to come down for the St. Louis Cardinals. You look, they they could do the you know we can avoid the shortstop market because we've got Win, we've got Paul DeYoung, but we've got Win, and we think Win's the guy there long term. They don't have any of those guys in the minors in the pitching that'll be ready for next year. So they got to go out, spend the premium. And as we've seen, I know a lot of people early on in the playoffs said, whoa, whoa, look at spending. Look, Mets, whoa, not a playoff team. Padres, whoa, not a playoff team. That Those teams just got, Mets got old quickly. The Padres was just a bizarre, bizarro world where they had a positive run differential and missed the playoffs somehow. That the team was better. The worst ever record in one score games plus yeah. extra inning games. It, it, it was incredible. Yeah. And that doesn't happen that often. And if you spend on the right talent, which will be another thing that the Cardinals will have to do this offseason, is not just be willing to throw out the money, but evaluate, okay, who is going to project best on the contracts that we're willing to give out this offseason? That's the thing that will worry me with John Mozella because he does not have a great free agent track record. Yeah, they got to get it right. They also haven't played in the top of the market sweepstakes very often. Last year, he finally did with Wilson Contreras for all of the talk about what went wrong with that signing it it worked out it it basically went exactly according to plan this year bad defensively great offensively we planned it maybe not how they planned it the cardinals didn't foresee that everybody else in america seemed to but they didn't think he was going to be bad defensively apparently i I don't know (laughs) how i thought he was but here we are they got exactly what they paid for this year when it came to Wilson Contreras. When they go to the top of the market, when you go get Matt Holiday and you pay him top of the market dollars, guess what? You get top of the market production. When you give Albert Pujols a massive extension at the time to stay here for the prime of his career, he gives you prime Albert Pujols production. Like That's what you should get when you pay for those guys. Hell, the legacy players. When they kept Wayno and Yachty here for the duration of their careers, those first couple of extensions that they gave them, they couldn't have worked out much better. The first Matt Carpenter extension could not have worked out much better. Premier players typically give you top-level production into their early to mid-30s. That's what the Cardinals have to do this offseason. As we see more of these projections coming out, I don't think they should be ruled out on a single free agent pitcher. Not a single one. Whoever it is that came to mind for you right now where you're like, okay, but what about this guy? Yeah, that guy too. They should be in on him. 
because The Athletic has now posted projections from Jim Bowden, who's a former Major League Baseball GM who talks to general managers regularly around the league. All of his seemed more than reasonable. In fact, you could argue seemed a little low for some of the pitchers that were available. They put out another projection piece today from a numbers nerd, and I say that affectionately, a guy that we're going to have on the show on Friday. Impression call him names before we have him on the show. I was going to call him a nerd before he comes on. Well, he's Damn. going through F4 and all of these different things, oh, okay. and so he's, he's got a, a model that he puts out there Look, for what the projection should be. for. Co- yeah, he's a nerd. Instead of saying a nerd, we'll say he uses fancy oh, numbers. No, let's yeah. call a spade a spade. He's a nerd. Yeah, He's like me. He's a nerd. He's probably yeah. never touched a baseball before, and that's okay. A okay. lot of the guys that are running Whoa. teams okay. have never touched a baseball oh, before. And you've crossed now the you're line. Really hey, again, the line. I'm right there with you. I played baseball for one year growing up. I took a ground ball. It lit, went straight up the lip of the glove, hit me right in the lip, busted my lip open, and I never we, played and again. And that, that we, must have been a big baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Surprised it got your lip that and didn't hit something ball, else. Let's be honest. It was, it was uh, a beach ball. We quit using the square bottle. He's gotten worse since. <laughs> yeah. okay? I thought you were learning, been, and it looks like we're going to have to go back to this. He's been staring at the squirt bottle that's been empty over the last couple of weeks. I'm like, well, these guys aren't going to fill it up. So, so these it. new projections over on The Athletic from the numbers nerds, and I feel we can say that, T-Bone. All of them are in line with what you'd expect, and all of them should be attainable for the Cardinals. Yamamoto, seven years, $200 million. Aaron Nola, six years, $180 million. Jordan Montgomery, five for 105. Blake Snell, five for 135. Sonny Grace, three years, $70 million. None of these are outlandish. Eduardo Rodriguez, five for 80. Lucas Giolito, he's got him at four years, $70 million. Now, I wouldn't do that, but if the Cardinals wanted to, they certainly could. Flaherty, three for 45. Again, wouldn't do that. Cardinals could. Guy I really like, I've talked about a lot, Tyler Malley, 29 years old, coming off of an injury-riddled season. Two years, $20 million. All of these guys should be available to the Cardinals. None of them should outprice what the Cardinals are willing to pay if this is the real market in which they're going to be playing. Yeah, if you find yourself as a Cardinals fan finding or seeing the Cardinals front office say like, ah, well, certain guys just are out of or certain guys are out of our reach. That's baloney. Uh, they should be able. I mean, look, the top of the top. We talked about it yesterday with Jim Bowden's projections is Yamamoto at $30 million. And then I can understand spending $30 million for a 25 year old pitcher. But everything else is in your price range. And if you don't want to spend the money on guys because they're not actual aces. Well, once again, you did that to yourself. And if you don't want to do that, then go trade for somebody. But if you end the offseason by talking about, well, we really couldn't find ourselves spending the money to get this guy, then it's a failed offseason in your eyes. Because if you want to be the Texas Rangers, if you are going to brag about how great your offense is and what you think it can do in a full season, then you better back it up with good pitching. Otherwise, you're going to do the same thing next year. Yeah, and seeing all these projections, I think you guys are right. They should be able to sign just about anybody they want. And they can't even use the excuse of, well, it costs too much. Or the thing, I mean, they're going to have to do this for, if they're going to target Gray and they're going to target Nola, they're going to have to win a bidding war. And that may mean going a little bit beyond what they're thinking. Because I don't know if Nola's a $30 million pitcher a year, but you may have to get up to that if you want to go sign him. If you truly say, you know what, Nola's the guy that we think projects best long-term on a five-, six-year deal, you know what? We got to win the bidding war. Let's go give him thirty million dollars, then we'll spend twenty mil on a Sunny Gray or someone like that. I, the deal that surprised me the most reading all these projections is Snell. I thought Snell was going to get way more, and right now he looks like a guy that the market may not play up to what I was thinking. So even Everybody Snell is can shouting make sense. from the mountaintops. Blake Snell is not going to get as much as we think he's going to. Like everybody is. 
And we talked about this a little bit in the office before the show. I think it reminds me a lot of Kevin Gossman before he hit free agency. And the one that I think it most closely resembles is Robbie Ray. When he hit free agency and eventually ended up in Seattle, Robbie Ray had an excellent walk year prior to hitting free agency, ended up winning the Cy Young that year. And Seattle said, Everybody else is going to give this guy less than $25 million a year? We're, we're, we're really doing that? Okay, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll give you we're $23 in. million a year, Robbie. You willing to sign the dotted line? And Robbie Ray said, yeah, that sounds great. I'll Seattle go sounds great. five years, $115 million. Now, I think it's going to be a little more than that because of inflation. I think he's probably going to get, I think the 5 and 125 feels around the range that we should be expecting at this point for uh, Blake Snell. I think all of these guys are somewhere in that. 20 to 28 million dollar range somebody on the text line said guys you're not getting yamamoto for seven years and 210 million dollars at this point i have no idea what yamamoto is going to get no idea he's really small he's coming over from japan where there's a lot of risk built in maybe it ends up being 230 million dollars maybe it ends up being 160 million dollars anything in that range sure i'd buy it because it seems like all of the projections are all over the place on him. All of the guys, though, that are currently in Major League Baseball, I think the projections are pretty spot on. We've seen it now from three, four, five different places, and they're all pretty darn similar. So I think we now have a pretty good idea of what this free agency class is going to look like pitching-wise. And I think we now see the Cardinals can be players for two guys that are in those top two tiers. Sonny Gray, Eduardo Rodriguez, um, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola. The Cardinals should be able to get two of them. I know that sounds outlandish. I don't think it is. Yeah, and I know we had the conversation, I think it's been two, three weeks now, about, well, what if Nola gets $200 million? Nobody gets $200 million in the pitching market unless you've proven to be a Garrett Cole or a Max Scherzer, not just for a year, but for five years consistently. So for anybody that thought, oh, $200 million for an Aaron Nola or a Blake Snell, no, that was never realistic. That was just us here in St. Louis going, we need pitching, we need pitching, we need pitching. Oh, well, those guys must really be, cost a lot. They must cost $200 million. No, it's going to be, like you said, $20, $30 million and probably between 100 and 160 probably for yep. most of those guys on the market that may not be Yamamoto. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That is Alex Ferrario. Alex is looking very dapper today, I might add. Dapper Dan. Going into tonight's matchup between the not Blues Dan, and the Colorado Avalanche. You're looking this nice for a road game, man. Hey, game days, you dress up. I like that. Game like days, that. you dress up. I, I wish, I wish you two would you. have some more respect for the Blues like I do. I've got, a, I've got a T-shirt from Old Navy and a jacket from Old Navy on. I've got the full dad mode going. I got, I got Blues gear on, and I wore my best pair of sweats. <laughs> is, there, is there a such thing as a best pair of sweats? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. These things flap in the wind. I feel loose and free, baby. Hmm? We still talking about the pants? or hmm. You know it's 30 degrees outside. And it's hmm. loose in the well, wind. I'm indoors a lot. Flaps know? on the wind. Hmm. I feel comfortable, and that's what matters, okay? Hmm. Not tight. All right, so the no Blues. Uh, the Central <laughs> Stop, Division man. was supposed to be bad this year, and it is certainly living up to expectations. If you want to get positive about the Blues, live on some hopium. We got that for you. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Magic number with a lot of coaches is 20. You talk to Ken Hitchcock, all the GMs, you know, it's usually uh, 20 games. But I think that people have to be realistic that you can see it 
after 8, 10, 12 games. You can. Five on five goals for nine, that's 31st in the league. Five on five goals against 12, that's 22nd in the league. From my experience covering teams, when you see numbers like that, they don't get dramatically better. They don't get in the top 10 by the end of the year. This is kind of who you are. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions where teams have turned it around and got hot. Unless these numbers start to get better soon, you know, I think by the 20 game mark, the 30 game mark, we're going to be way past where we know this team to be. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us yesterday. If you missed our conversation with him, check it out on the podcast page. He was able to join us in studio. I think it's well worth your time. 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, I think we have a pretty good idea of what this team is right now, but I'm going to give them a little bit more time, and we'll get to how long here in just a moment. But as you look around the Central Division, this is part of why I'm willing to give them a little bit of time. This was expected to be a bad division coming into the season, and everybody was trying to find their horse that they were going to bet on, right? It was, hey, which one of these teams is going to be able to get to third? And the truth is, none of them are really taking any advantage of that opportunity whatsoever. Alex, you were much lower on the Nashville Predators than most were coming into the season. Uh, your skepticism has proven to be prudent. So far this year, they look a lot like the team that we saw a year ago. But that's the case for everybody, man. The Jets have 10 points in nine games, basically a point per game so far. And that is a theme throughout this division. Predators, eight points in eight games. The Coyotes, excuse me, they're at eight points in nine games now after losing last night. Coyotes, eight points in eight games. Wild, eight points in nine games. Blues, seven points in seven games. If you just go by points percentage, they're all basically the exact same so far this year. Now, the Blues have one fewer game than the rest of these teams, but they're right on track with everybody else. Alex, the Central Division absolutely could have run away from the Blues early on this year. That hasn't been the case. And if they're able to get their acts together, this has nothing to do with what we've seen from the Blues, everything to do with what this division is right now. If you want to have hope, if you want to hear optimism, it's really about the division, not about the Blues. Yeah, it really is. And this is what Doug Armstrong was talking about. And I mean, you can even spread it further if you'd like. You can look at just the conference in itself to where you're seeing the clear-cut teams that are better than the others and this is what Doug originally was talking about Colorado Dallas Vegas LA and frankly Vancouver I think came out of nowhere for how they've been playing but those are the best of the best that's the top tier of the Western Conference those are the teams that are going to hold five of the what eight spots in the playoffs and now you're talking about that middle tier and that middle tier look I understand the neg- the uh, skepticism and the negative feelings right now with the Blues, but to be honest, you pick up a game tonight, you pick up two points tonight, you're talking about being one point out of a third-place spot. And yes. I understand it's eight games into the season, but what you said is correct. Now, th- the issue with all of this is, is what JR said in that return. It's not so much of the other division is playing poorly that keeps you in it, which is true. It's your playing so low to expectations that even if you take that uptick in terms of how you've performed and say, okay, well, it's got to improve. It's not improving as much. That's going to put you back into the middle of the pack of these teams. So you don't just need to see slight improvements. You need to see significant improvements from the blues. And I'm talking more sustained offensive zone time. I'm talking power play needs to be in the top half of the league. Penalty kill needs to be in the top half of the league. You got your goaltender down. I think, the framework of your defense is in place. You staying close with these teams is a good thing this early on, but man, you are about to go on an eight game stretch where you're playing some of the best of the best. 
And if you don't take your game from significantly improved from where it was, you're going to be talking about looking up in about eight to 10 games saying, I don't think we can get back into this. Yeah, their goal in these next, like you said, seven, eight games is just stay afloat probably. And then you look and try and find the soft spot in the schedule and go, okay, when can we go on like a seven and three, eight and two run? Because I think that's, this is kind of how I thought the division was going to play out coming into the season. You knew you had Colorado and Dallas as the top two. I thought Minnesota would be better, but credit to Alex. Alex was warning me all off season, don't buy into the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. So like everybody else, it's just going to be a battle of who wants to back into the playoffs. And really what will separate you probably is a team that goes on that first 10-game stretch where it's like 8-2, and 7-3. I'm not saying a 10-game winning streak by any means, but a good sustained stretch of 10 hockey games where you just separate yourselves from this pack and then you just hold them off. Because if you go 1-7 and seven in the next uh, eight games, there's a chance somebody else does take off and can really solidify that third spot early on. And I'm not sure, and again, the team has to improve, but like if you look at this month of November, there's areas that you can go on that stretch that T-Bone's talking about. Maybe not seven or eight in a row, but you could win five of seven, six of eight. But the problem is you've got to outplay those opponents that are in the middle tier that you are, and we've seen that already. Arizona had their way with you, and Winnipeg had their way with you. That's like, that San Jose. It's yeah. the West Coast trip that you're going on. San Jose, San Jose L.A., Anaheim, Arizona, Nashville, Chicago. And then Minnesota. That's the stretch that you can yeah. take advantage of. And, I mean, we're talking about what is that right there? That's seven games add in Buffalo because Buffalo's kind of in the middle tier of the East. We're talking about eight games right there that you should be able to if you're in this framework that Doug Armstrong has talked about, you should be able to come away with six of eight wins in that stretch. So I I hear everything that we're saying, and really it just comes down to can they start doing better against teams that are above 500? Right. Because so far this year, St. Louis Blues hockey has been Kentucky football. And what I mean by that is we talked about this when Mizzou was going (laughs) up against Kentucky. If you're a winning team in the SEC, you beat Kentucky. If you're a losing team in the SEC, Kentucky beats you. And they show you exactly who you are. They take a mirror up to your face and say, this is who you are. Warts and all, you will find out against Kentucky football. If you're good, you beat them. If you're bad, you lose. That's it. Point blank period. And so far this year for the Blues, that's been the story of their season, man. Their four losses have come against teams that have a combined record of 18, 10, and 4 this year. Every one of those teams has a winning record on the season. The Blues have been outscored in those games by a combined score of 17 to 5. They have been absolutely clobbered in their games against winning teams so far this year. Meanwhile, the Blues' three wins this year have come against teams that have a combined record of 8, 17, and 3. 8, 17, and 3. That is a winning percentage of 339, which is roughly the equivalent of the Chicago Blackhawks on the season, to give you kind of a reference point on what that is. The Blues have outscored those teams by a wide margin. So when you look at what's happened, what's gone wrong, what's gone right for them so far this year, it's been a reflection of the talent that they're going up against. Like people have asked Jamie asked the other day, how do you explain what happened against Calgary and against Pittsburgh? Well, I explain it by saying that Calgary so far this year is two, six and one on the season. Pittsburgh so far this year is three, six and oh on the season. They're not the teams that we remember them to be. It's like going up against Washington last year and saying, oh, we beat the Capitals. Yeah. You beat the Capitals. This isn't the Capitals of previous seasons. It's It's the same as the Penguins. Somebody going up against the Cardinals and saying, hot damn, we beat the Cardinals. Yeah, cool. Yeah. You beat a 70-win team. That means absolutely nothing. So I need to see the Blues in this next stretch of four games 
perform well. Look legitimately good against Colorado, New Jersey, Montreal, Winnipeg. And you can continue that if you want to for six games where they've got Arizona and then Colorado again. This stretch of six games will tell me everything I need to know about the team. Yeah. If they can't perform well in these games, then I know they're a bad team. Yeah. And I and look, I mean, Colorado and New Jersey, to me, like I'm expecting not to sound like Debbie Downer, but I'm expecting those to be losses because you're not gauging how your team looks against teams that are Stanley Cup contenders because you're not in that framework. Be competitive, though. Yeah, can you punch up? Maybe, but I mean, you're not expect if you're in this retool, you're not expected to even be competitive with these teams. If you do, great. It's the same. I looked at that Dallas Stars game. That that was a victory in my eyes. That first game of the season, but they played well. They did, and you and that's good. But like, if you get shellacked, I'm not going to sit here and say this team's awful because the teams that you get shellacked by when you get when you do that against Arizona and when you do that against Winnipeg and when you do that against Vancouver. Those are the ones that concern me. When I look at this stretch of the four games that you put there, Montreal and Winnipeg, that's concerning. That's why the month of November, I think, is going to be a real telling sign of this team because other than New Jersey, Colorado twice, and L.A., everyone else you should be competitive with and you should be able to win in Doug Armstrong's view of this team this season. Yeah, see, that's the one place where I will disagree a little bit. And I, I, I do understand where you're coming from, and I think it's more than reasonable, by the way. But... I, we have seen enough from this team now through the first seven games of the season that I think we kind of know roughly how they're trying to play. And if you can't be competitive against Colorado, if you can't punch up a little bit, I'm not saying you got to win these games, but be competitive and, and look okay. And you get through these six games and you're like one, four, and one, two, and four, something like that. I don't have a whole lot of optimism at that point in time. If it's looking the way that it has, where you're getting outshot, you're getting outchanged, your power play still looks not great, your penalty kill is just okay, and it basically comes down to, did Jordan Bennington have an all-time great performance? If he did, you win. If he didn't, you lose. That's kind of the flow chart of the season so far uh, for the Blues. I I need to see more than that. I need to see other ways that this team can win. We've seen it once. Calgary, you play legitimately well both ways. Other than that, so far this year, it's been a it's been games that have been decided by whether or not your goalie put together an all-time great performance. So hopefully we can start to see them perform a little bit better on both sides of the puck. The Blues versus the Avalanche. Pre-game coverage for that one coming up tonight at 730. I'm going to go ahead and guess that Alex is going to have a long extended pre-game show tonight. Looking forward to that one. So he's got TNT starting at 730, <laughs> ending probably somewhere closer to nine o'clock for Alex and T-Bone on BK coming up next. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters by going through some of the best teams in the NFL and talking about their awards. Who's the one that has the biggest Achilles heel so far this year. NFL quick hitters is next. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal each week. You're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, boys. Let's start with this. Let's go a little big picture. It's a Wednesday. How big? The biggest. Oh, my God. Okay, it's a Wednesday. It. We can start having some big picture conversations about this league and where we're at right now. Let's start with this. Which team currently with three wins? is most likely to get back on track and make it to the postseason this year. I'll give you some of the options here. The Buccaneers, T-Bones Rams, the Titans with Will Levis at the helm, the Colts with Gardner Minshew, the Commanders with God only knows what at quarterback, the Texans or the Chargers. Which team would you bet on right now, Alex, to get to the postseason after having three wins at this point in the season? Man, Uh, is it weird Probably the proper answer to this would be yes. Is it weird that I want to say it's the Chargers and the Titans? I wouldn't say it's weird, but... Like, the Chargers, I mean, look, I don't trust their coach, which is probably why I'd be less likely to pick them. Hey, not first coach fired this year. I, I, I know I'm getting, like, way too excited over Will Levis in one game, but he looks significantly better than Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis ever has. And like, you do have good weapons with Deandre Hopkins and Derrick Henry and that division. It's not all that great other than the Jaguars, but I still think the Jaguars aren't that overwhelming of a team. So I'm going to pick the Titans. I think the number one team for me would be the Bucks, And I can't believe I'm saying that because I think they're the best team in the NFC South. New Orleans hasn't shown me enough offensively. They still don't feel, feel great. Atlanta, they don't have a great head coach, they and they don't their, know how to use their weapons. They got a better quarterback now. Kaka. Uh, yeah, uh, and I, I, I just think Tampa Bay's a better roster. I think Shaky Bay, he's been okay so far this year. They've got better offensive weapons, and defensively, they've been fine. And then if I had to choose a second one, I would say the Rams. But I'm concerned about them because Stafford Who's can't feel his thumb exactly. <laughs> and they're running out Daryl Henderson. Yeah, still. they don't have a running back, and now and Stafford's thumb's falling off again. So I, I would say Tampa no, Bay is probably the top team. Heads are falling off. Um, it, I'll say this: Is it weird that I think it's the Houston Texans? <laughs> No, well, I think they're good. It's either the Texans or the Titans. <laughs> yeah, like somebody out of the AFC South is probably going to be able to make it to the playoffs this year. Their upcoming schedule includes Tampa Bay, Arizona, Denver, the Jets, the Titans twice, and Indianapolis. That's a lot of potential wins that remain on their schedule. I like their quarterback. I think C.J. Stroud has played like a top 10 quarterback so far this year, and I'm not talking about among rookies. Like, I think he's been a legit top 10 quarterback, and that is in part because quarterback play around the league has been abysmal so far this year, but he deserves a lot of credit. I think they've got a good coach. They've got a couple of playmakers defensively that make just enough plays for them. I think they're the team that I would probably bet on, mostly because I believe in their quarterback and their coach. I don't think there's anybody else on this list that I can say that about, where I believe in both the quarterback and the head coach. Most of it is because of injury. Like Rams, I believe in their quarterback and coach if their quarterback was healthy, but he's never healthy. I believe in the Chargers quarterback. I don't believe in their coach. And that's pretty much the end of the list. So I believe in the Titans coach. And so I'm hoping Will Levis can become a quarterback I can believe in. There you go. At least they've got upside there. Yeah. And they've got DeAndre Hopkins who will help him play up. Kept Derrick Henry. Who knew? You should throw the ball to Hopkins. Interesting. Turns out. out. Well, you got to have a quarterback who could throw the ball. Next thing up. 
The Chiefs, Cowboys, Dolphins, Jaguars, and Ravens are all six and two right now. Out of that group of teams, Alex, which one of them do you think has the biggest Achilles heel that will prevent them from winning it all? I don't know what their Achilles heel is, but I want to say it's the Jaguars. Like, I, 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 I can't pinpoint an area on that team that I'm like, Blocking. yeah. What? Blocking. Sure. But I could also throw in, like, defense, and occasionally it's Trevor Lawrence. But I could also say the same thing with the Chiefs because their biggest war hey. is a pretty <laughs> significant one that you can't just freeze off in terms of your quarterback's got nowhere to throw the ball. But I still think they have the better player, the better coach, better players, better coach. So I'll say the biggest warts the Jaguars. See, it's funny because the one for me is Baltimore. And I don't really know what to pinpoint either on Baltimore. It's just I look at that team and I go, they're six and two. They're making me skeptical of my criticism of them from these last two weeks. And I know they yeah, haven't played it, significant opponents. And, and maybe that's it is because it was their red zone execution. They had zero red zone execution against Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. Like in that Tennessee game too, that was the one that was in London, correct? Mm-hmm. That was the one that I picked yeah. that I forgot yeah. that it was in London, and yeah. it turned Who out. I thought it was in you London. throw the ball to Mark Andrews in the end zone and he catches it. When they started converting in the red zone, their offense suddenly looks amazing. But when they don't, dude, it looks bad. It looks really bad. So that's I think that's been their Achilles heel so far. And maybe that's what it is that I'm feeling because like I I look at Baltimore and I go, I can't believe this team's six and two. It feels like just the other day we were talking about them being a team that's like, ah, this offense, it's not clicking. Maybe it is just the red zone opportunities, but I would say it's Baltimore. I don't view them as a threat in the AFC. I really don't. I I know they're suddenly starting to get this trend of, oh, they're going to be a top contender in the AFC. No, I'm not buying into that. I I don't view them as a top contender in this AFC. Can I give you the Cowboys wins real quick? The two New York teams. They're not six and two. New England. Oh shoot! <laughs> They're five and two. If they oh, were six two and losses. two, I would have taken the Cowboys. Two losses. Let's just say they that were they, on my list here. Let's say they bad won their bye week, so we'll say that's six and two. All right, two losses. Let's change change the discussion. Oh well, wait a minute! I choose the Cowboys. I choose the Cowboys. <laughs> the team. The, <laughs> damn it! Teams they've beat so far this year, man. Make us look really like hard. an idiot. <laughs> Numbers nerd over here. Uh, New England, the Chargers, and the Rams. Wow. They're going to get their ass kicked this weekend on the road at Philadelphia. And it's because they have a terrible head oh, coach. Didn't you hear Jerry Jones? This ish is real. Yeah. How about them Cowboys? I really like their talent. They don't have a running back who can do much of anything, by the way. That guy stinks. And what happened Tony, to Tony Pollard? Pollard. <laughs> Everybody thought Pollard was going to be this, like, next generational oh, running back. He's terrible. He can't Emmett do a Smith damn Smith over here. Rico Dowdle has been more successful than him so far this year. So that's been frustrating to watch. But really, it's their coach. I don't trust their coach at all. I fully anticipate him making a game-breaking mistake in this game on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. So the two-loss team, even though they have five wins, that I don't trust is the Dallas Cowboys because of their head coach. All right, final thing here, guys. We'll get to questions and answers coming up next. Which team's performance on Sunday made you feel more optimistic about their future outlook? The Seahawks, the Bengals, or the Cowboys? All three had impressive victories over the weekend. I think it comes down to the Bengals and Seahawks, and I'm going to say the Bengals just because of what Joe Burrow is when he's locked in. And, I mean, the last couple of games, he's looked locked in. That offense can be elite, is elite when they're clicking. So I'll say Cincinnati gives me optimism, but watch out for Seattle. I think Seattle, with the trade that they made and now with this offense rolling, they're going to be the best team in the NFC West, not the 49ers.
I hope that's true. Um, I I <laughs> like Cincinnati Bengals. I yeah, Burrow brother. looks healthy again, and that's been the biggest thing. And and plus, we just know for whatever reason they're a team that sleepwalks through the first like eight weeks of the season, and then they wake up and they are the Bengals. So. I, I thought Burrow was really impressive in that win against San Francisco, God, moving good. the pocket, finding open wide receivers. It didn't look like the offense we saw early on. It looked completely different, so I'm going to say the Cincinnati Bengals. Apparently Josh Allen has a shoulder issue that he's dealing with right now. Bengals play against the Bills on Sunday night this week. That opened as a one-and-a-half-point line in favor of the Bengals. I hope you got on that early because that was just flat-out wrong. The Bengals are a better football team right now than Buffalo. I think the Bengals are once again the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. We are exactly back where we started. Joe Burrow looked healthy. Jamar Chase has been amazing so far this year. Joe Mixon even got in on the fun on Sunday. Looked like a competent running back for the first time so far this year. I think the Bengals are once again back. They're second best team in the AFC. You can make a case that by the end of the year, they will be the best team in the AFC. Because I think they have the fewest like lethal issues. I think the Chiefs wide receivers could absolutely be a problem that ends up losing them a Super Bowl this year. Good thing they got aggressive and added something. It's embarrassing. I, I can't believe they stood pat. I cannot believe that they decided to bet on Sky Moore the rest of the year. It's a, it's an abomination to the sport, and it's embarrassing for the NFL that Patrick Mahomes is having to go through this. As you know, Taylor Swift's going to be up there watching these games, thinking oh, to herself, well, "But that's when Travis Kelsey's yeah. at his best." Don't we have best. a little bit more talent to that's put out there Kelsey outside of my boyfriend? Up. Come on, somebody else step up. Man, did you hear what I heard there? Haters going to hate, 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 hate. That hate. was the world's smallest violin that well just played, happened so. from BK. Now hold on, you you ran all over his joke, and it was a I good know. one. No, it wasn't that good. It was really I'm, good. You just don't know who I was singing about. He's just going to shake it off. Singing Taylor. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this from the 314. Boys, is it too early for Christmas music? No. no absolutely no. it is. I've already seen the damn videos of Mariah Carey getting defrosted. Can we just stop? Can we give some damn respect to Thanksgiving? There's no That's good music for that. Thanksgiving gets so much crap. It gets completely overlooked. It's a we historical moment. Halloween. What? It's a historical moment. I, I don't know if we should be celebrating it. Well, probably point. not, but it's still a historical a moment. History that we've got to come to terms with at this point. But can, can we just neither here nor there? Uh, it is a time of Thanksgiving. Yeah, so let's be thankful for Christmas music. No, you know what our world needs right now? The opportunity to sit and say thanks yeah. to each other. People There's that no, we love. Yeah, okay. I'm thankful for you, Alex. With Christmas music you, in the man. background. I'm thankful for this guy to just stop it with the Christmas music. Uh, no, I, you got I a saw, damn month to enjoy Christmas, okay? I saw a Christmas commercial before November even started, by the way. I think two, three days ago. And I no. said, oh my gosh, it is almost time Trash. to bring out the Christmas music. Trash. I didn't play it yet. But it's cold now. Trash. I made some some chili. It's gonna be seventy soup. degrees in two days. Thank God, because no. this sucks. It does suck. Like give I me a little bit more so much. It's no, ridiculous. No. It's that's Christmas a trash season. take. I'm ready for it. Tis the season. Respect yourself. There's damn no it. music for Thanksgiving. 
What are we going to talk about? Cutting a turkey? Dude, Thanksgiving's awesome. I agree. But I mean, the food sucks. Otherwise, it would be no, used to be around. See, you just got to do, right, do it right, man. You can't have this conversation. It's just trash. You get it's, rid of the Thanksgiving. Totally you get rid of the turkey, and you go the actual route. You do an Italian Thanksgiving. Oh, we oh. do that for Christmas. But yeah. But we do it for Christmas also. Us oh. Italians don't just pick and choose. We I just say, you. I don't want to eat your what nasty you turkey. Do? So we do, we rotate one Holiday, it's homemade lasagna, and then the other holiday, it's homemade ravioli. Oh, we See, do the ravioli. Yeah. I, I cannot get into either. And then we do salami. Do do Volpe, shout out to Volpe Salami on the Hill. There My God, they got some olive salad, too, oh that's just incredible. See, I cannot See, get... I lose my Italian uh, brothers olives. and sisters because of olives. Oh, man, I love I can't do them. I could not get into, forget the Christmas, but I could not get into the Thanksgiving Day festivities if we're having lasagna for dinner. Dude, it's so you gotta good. you got to have a turkey. There is nothing better. There is nothing better Pumpkin pie. than a plate full of lasagna oh, with a salami no. sandwich and then some sides, feeling stuffed, unbutton your pants and sit down on the couch for Godfather and fall asleep. There you go. Oh, My goodness. grandpa did it for about 40 years, and that man was a legend. See, the best part about Thanksgiving is not eating the food that's out for Thanksgiving. Because think about how many wonderful, excellent Italian restaurants there are across this great country of ours. That think you should it. enjoy on the other 363 days. Mm-hmm. You can do every single night. You could go to one of those restaurants and say to yourself, I had an excellent meal. Yeah, but we don't do you know have how- the BK money. Fair. Yeah. Do you know how more unlimited I vacation? One day, buddy. I just cook Italian money, Italian meals. Do you at know home. how many of these great Thanksgiving-style meals we have across this great country of ours? Like none, none. You know why? Because they go out of business That's immediately. Okay. Bob bacon. Evans has an incredible <laughs> turkey meal that you can get at like five True. o'clock. The early bird yeah, special. I can't wait. BK has pissed me off a lot on this show. It's true. This has been, probably been the one that's made me the most no. upset because this, this is just ridiculous. No, this is yet a good take on. No. You need to Text enjoy the damn me. holiday. I'm sorry. We, we overrate the quality of the meal you know on what Thanksgiving we're going to do this year? Because we associate it with family and good times. The family and good times is not what makes the meal great. The meal itself should stand apart. Oh, if that's you, not true, man. If you don't want this meal on any other day, then don't eat it on Thanksgiving. It's ridiculous that we force ourselves to do this. It's what makes it so good year. because it happens only You're once a year. You're a terrible human being. You're sitting here acting like the food is the reason you get together, not the actual good times no, of I'm family. No, I'm saying that you think that the food is good because you associate it with the happiness that you feel as you are in a room with food no, or I, the family. I, I would suck enjoy- at cooking. Yeah, yeah. I don't I, even cook the meal. Well, welcome to the problem. Maybe you I, should start cooking. Maybe. I think the Thanksgiving meal would be even good, still good without family, you know? If I did it all by myself, if I cooked my own turkey and stayed really home this Thanksgiving, like, is this like you admitting that you have Thanksgiving by yourself? No, but even really if I depressing. did, it would still be great. You're invited to my house. Buddy. Coming up in 15 minutes, Eric Francis is a Sportsnet columnist for the NHL, and he wrote the other day about how things are going poorly up in Calgary. Alex said, we got to get this guy on because I really want Lindholm on the blue. So we'll talk to Eric Francis about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, would you rather have this guy? Or that guy on their current projected contracts. We'll talk about that in relation to the Cardinals next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I think Snell is actually a, a good name for them uh, because I think he'll be uh, attainable. He won't cost necessarily the very top of the market. I would assume that Aaron Nola is the top of the market. And uh, then you've got G. Lito and Snell probably the next two. And if you can get Snell to uh, a Gossman-type contract, I think I'd be into it. That was Eno Saris during the season talking with us about why he would like to see Blake Snell on the St. Louis Cardinals this offseason. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Eric Francis. He writes about the NHL for Sportsnet. He recently wrote about all of the issues that are taking place in Calgary and why he could see the team ending up making some potential desperation trades. So we'll get into that with him coming up in about 10 minutes or so and how it affects the St. Louis Blues. But Alex... I wanted to discuss Blake Snell once again because we're getting closer and closer to the offseason. We're about 10 days away from real tangible movement in Major League Baseball. Five days after the World Series comes to a conclusion, that is the opening of the world or the opening of free agency. Technically, that could be five days away from now, depending on what happened in tonight's game between the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. Over on The Athletic, they put out a bunch of projections over the last couple of days. Today was the numbers nerds time. And they put out projections of what Blake Snell and Aaron Nola and all of these other top free agents are going to get in the offseason. For Aaron Nola, they have him projected for six years, $180 million in total. So about $30 million per year. On Blake Snell, they have him projected for a five year worth $135 million. So about $26 million per year. Alex, would you rather have Aaron Nola at six years and 180? Or Blake Snell at five years and $135 million this offseason? I have been the biggest component for Aaron Nola, thinking that that's the guy that they need to target and go after him. But if this is the actual numbers, I'm swaying my vote to Blake Snell. And here's why. I don't think Aaron Nola is worth $30 million a year. And I am very, although I think longevity-wise... He fares whether he fares better than Blake Snell will if you give him a five-year contract. Thirty million dollars for Aaron Nola versus twenty-six million dollars for Blake Snell. I feel like I get a better bang for my buck in those first three years with the Blake Snell. So I, I want Aaron Nola, but not for thirty million dollars. So in this scenario, you're giving me, I'm going to go with a twenty-six million dollar man and get a guy that might be closer to being an ace for those first three years. I, I think if Blake Snell's market is going to play the way that these projections are showing, he should be the top target for the St. Louis Cardinals outside of Yamamoto. If they're going to really be in on Yamamoto, then yeah, of course, he's the top target. The dude's 25 years old, and his stuff projects better than Kodai Senga from last year and Shohei Otani and Marshahiro Tanaka's stuff did when they came over. So yeah, if they're really in on him, he's the number one target. But let's just say they're not for now. I think Snell's the number one guy for me. He's got the best stuff on the free agent class from the pitchers that are here in the States right now. And yes, I know he walks a ton of pitchers, but his stuff is so good that it allows him to mask all of those walks. That's why his ERA was so low, even though he led the majors in walks this year. And I get it, he's viewed as the five-and-dive pitcher, and he typically does do five-and-dive. But every start in the month of September made five starts, went six-plus innings. 
when he is right, he is going to deal and he's going to strike a ton of guys out. And I think part of the reason his high, this was his highest walk rate was because he basically said, I'm going to let it eat and I'm going to go just shove and throw all my best stuff. If he's going to get a five-year deal for less than $30 million, yeah, Snell should be the top guy. This guy's won two Cy Young. So I'm in on him. I don't like the idea of Nola for $30 million. I just looked this up. There are just uh, five pitchers that made $30-plus million this year. One of them didn't even pitch, and that was Strasburg. The others, Patrick Corbin, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. And those last three made 40-plus. Patrick Corbin shouldn't be making $35 million. There's, I don't think Aaron Nola is a $30 million pitcher. I would not give him $30 million per year. If you want to stretch out the contract, lower the AV, okay, but I don't want to give him too many years either. So I, I'm, I would much rather give Snell a five-year deal around that 26 to $27 million range, and I think you're going to get the value of that contract once you sign him. So we have about 400 votes on this on Twitter so far. I tweeted this out at BK Sports Talk. Which of these players would you rather see the Cardinals sign? Nola for six at 180 or Snell at five and 135? What would you guys guess are the results so far? 80 20 Nola. Uh, I would say it's closer than I'd say 60 40 Nola. 53 47. It oh, is wow. almost exactly 50 50. Wow. And I'm actually surprised by that. I, I didn't know if it was going to be 80 20 T Bone, but I thought it would definitely be significantly in favor of Nola. It is slightly in favor of Aaron Nola. I think at these rates, I would prefer to have Blake Snell as well. I like Aaron Nola. I've been talking about it all season, really, that Nola would be my number one target. And number two for me, given uh, what they're likely to get in free agency, would be Sonny Gray. I, I like both of them. And honestly, paired together, I think they both make a lot of sense as well because you've got one that is an innings eater, the other that has the really good stuff. You're not having to give out you know, 10-year contracts to either of them. It makes a lot of sense for what the Cardinals are looking for and the way that they profile with pitching. If you can get Blake Snell at five years and $135 million or maybe even a little bit less than that, depending on which projections you're looking at, I think that makes a lot of sense for this team. I thought it would end up being more than that. But as I've been thinking more about it, Robbie Ray is probably the best example of a guy that hit the market with similar skills at a similar age with a similar history to what we're seeing with Blake Snell. Robbie Ray hit the free agency market at age 30. At the time, he was coming off of a Cy Young season with Toronto where he was absolutely fantastic. Had 248 strikeouts in 193 innings. Won the Cy Young that year. Finished top 15 in MVP voting, in fact. Signed with the Seattle Mariners. And last year, prior to this year where he missed almost the entire season with injury, was once again pretty good for them. Now, didn't match the same results as he did in that one season with Toronto, but good nonetheless. Struck out 10 batters per nine innings in 190 innings, ended up with an ERA below three and a half. Like that's, that's the kind of guy that they were hoping to sign there. That's what you're hoping for with somebody like a Blake Snell. So I would go with him, five years a buck 35. What it does, though, if you end up signing Snell... I do think the third starter that you add has to give you more certainty. If you go with Nola and Sonny Gray, I think the third starter can be about upside. You can go get a Tyler Malley who's coming off of injury. You can go trade for one of the young guys that's going to come in at a low, reasonable price, and you're hoping to get somebody that by the end of the season is a number three starter for you, but early on might go through some struggles. You can take on more risk because Nola has more certainty. With Snell, you're taking on more risk, so that third starter, in my opinion, needs to bring a little more certainty. And I think that has to be via trade, because I'm not sure via free agency, there's a lot of guys out there that you can afford after making those moves of Snell and Gray that gives you that certainty. Unless because the, maybe in this case, the second guy that you bring in is the guy that ends up via, via trade with certainty. I guess you could go that route as well. Instead of signing a yeah, Sonny Gray, maybe sign- you trade for... 
I don't even know who the specific guy would be, but like a Logan Gilbert. Yeah. And, and well, he brings and, more certainty to your and line. And then in that sign sense, up. you're signing a low-level yeah. guy that you're hoping like a James Seth Pack. Lugo. Yeah, something that you're throwing Ooh, in there is the Paxton. five. No, probably not. Sorry, I forgot he's hurt all the time. Yeah. He is a left-hander. Yeah, we do love him. I heard he's a great guy, too. I think yeah. whoever you sign with your number one option, that changes what the rest of the offseason ends up looking like because it... It changes the risk threshold that I'm willing to take. If I'm getting a little more risky with my number one pitching option, I need to have more certainty with my two and my three. If I'm getting a whole lot of certainty, though, with that number one, well, now I can get a little riskier with my two or, or the three. Yeah, and, and I I find it tough because when I say this, it's going to be the opposite of signing a Blake Snell to this kind of contract, but I would almost think, you, at least the way the Cardinals would think, is that you would want more certainty with the one and take the risk on the five. That sure. feels like what the Cardinals would do. And honestly, I understand that because I think that there is a legitimate argument to, okay, well, if you're risky on a five, you can always replace a five at the deadline. It's a little tougher to replace that number one at a trade deadline if Blake Snell doesn't work out and his stuff really does diminish and then he's walking the world and then there's all kinds of issues. I actually think that if his stuff started to diminish, he would pull back a little bit and the walk rate would come down slightly. I'm not saying he's going to limit it to barely walking anybody, but I, I'm not as concerned about that as much. So the big thing here, I just don't know that Blake Snell is going to sign in St. Louis. There's no shot against this city. I have chosen to live here because my wife is from here, and I have fallen in love with the city. I don't know if that's going to be Blake Snell's opinion of it. I think Snell, if I had to just project, is probably going to end up on one of the coasts. I think he's going to end up in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, more likely New York or Philadelphia, and like so the Dodgers or the San Francisco Giants. I, I think that's probably where he ends up, is in one of those big cities on one of the coasts. I'd be pretty surprised if he ends up taking a deal like this to come to the Midwest. Yeah, and I don't think that's I anything. I think Nola's much more likely to do that. I don't think that's anything to do with the city as it's just the, the placement of the city to where team guys exactly. just want the coast right now. But it's also more the team, too. I mean, if you're Blake Snell and you just left a team that was supposed to have the upside and they didn't live up to it, I'm not sure if I'm him. I want to go to a team that hasn't shown that upside yet. I, I hear you. And that's um, the tough part for Aaron Nola, too. You know, yeah, I, I, I think we overstate that stuff sometimes because it's a one-year blip. Like yeah. the Cardinals are known for most of these guys around the leagues that have league that have been around I, for a while. And I think the message as a team is that is a consistent winner. Yeah, and I think the message is simple: that blip doesn't happen if you're here. Yep. I mean, that's essentially the message I would say to him. If I, if I, you said to me, you can have one sentence to convince Nola and Gray or Snell. The one thing I would say to him is, if you were here last year, that blip doesn't happen. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the first college football playoff rankings are officially out. I think they mostly got it right, which is strange because normally we get on and we yell about these. We'll get into that, though, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, Eric Francis wrote on Sportsnet the other day that it might be getting close to time for Calgary to make some risky trades. What's that mean for the Blues? Could they get involved? We'll talk to Eric Francis about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm 
I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Eric Francis. He's a senior columnist for Sportsnet, also does some analyst work over there as well. And the other day, he put out a piece that certainly caught our attention here in St. Louis. Flames pause all contract talks as the slide threatens this season. We continue to read there, and it basically says, hey, this could go poorly, and it might end up resulting in some necessary trades for the Flames. Eric joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline to discuss his column. Eric, we appreciate the time, man. Let's start out with that. The Calgary Flames are in an interesting position once again with pending UFAs. What do you expect the team to do in its handling of these two in particular with Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very much can see approach. Uh, it was just last week that Noah Hannafin had uh, word had come out that that they were making progress on a on a, a contract extension for the defenseman, and uh, and then since then the Flames have lost five in a row. Uh, they're second last in the National Hockey League right now. I can cite all sorts of terrible numbers in terms of how bad they've been. <laughs> But at the end of the day, um, I think we've all seen it around the league over the years where if you get off to a horrific start, uh, your season could be over before it even begins. So, you know, I think the Calgary Flames are going to take the next 10 games or so to see if this team is capable of rebounding like they thought it could after last year. And if not, then players like Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin uh, and and Chris Tanev is another one and Nikita Zadorov, these are pending UFAs that will almost certainly be dealt uh, if, if if the Calgary Flames don't turn their uh, losing ways around. Eric, we uh, we talked about this last week with uh, Julian McKenzie from The Athletic, and, and it is eerie how similar this season is for the Calgary Flames to what last year was for the St. Louis Blues. You got the pending UFAs, you got the lack of direction it feels like for certain players. Does it feel the same for you? I know you didn't watch the St. Louis Blues every single day, but you saw how that season went. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, like last year with the Blues, similar to last year with the Flames, like you, you kept thinking that they might be able to, to kickstart themselves and, and, and get you know back into a playoff race. And uh, I know in Calgary, it's certainly all season long, you know, they were behind the eight ball early and just chased the whole year, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting, and then when it came right down to it, they kept losing the, the crucial games down the stretch. So I... You know, I don't know. I can't compare it 100% because, like you say, I, I love it when we go to St. Louis. I do watch uh, Blues games from time to time. But in terms of the whole general way it went, yeah, it ended poorly. And in this city, people expected the team to bounce back significantly this year because everybody had a down year statistically last year. Surely some of those guys would bounce back. And at this point in time, not a single one of them outside of their goaltender has done that. And that's the... That's the, the the hardest thing, I think, for some people right now in Calgary. Jacob Markstrom, who was probably the biggest reason the team missed the playoffs last year, has been their best player so far this year. And uh, and yet they can't uh, they can't score any goals for him. So, uh, so they've only got two wins. It's absurd how similar these teams <laughs> really are in is. every possible way. Same thing's happening here yeah. with Jordan Bennington, where it's like last year he couldn't buy himself a win. This year he's looking like one of the best goalies in the NHL uh, once again. Eric Francis is our guest here on 101 ESPN. So, Eric, if this continues heading in a negative trajectory for the Calgary Flames, they continue their losing ways, uh, and this this doesn't get turned around. If they decide to go the trade route and they move off of Lindholm and Hannafin, what do you think their their plan is in the long term? Is this a team that could go into a full-blown rebuild, or 
Are they going to try to recoup some assets that'll help them for the foreseeable future as well as the long term? I very much think that they would do. Uh, I, we can pick whatever word we want: a, a major retool, a re, an overhaul, uh, a rebuild on the fly. They're not going to tear it down to the studs, which is what the fan base here has really been clamoring for. Uh, we've all seen around the National Hockey League teams that have done that. You built, you, you just tear it right down. You go through two or three years of, of excruciating pain, and then you, you build yourself back up with young assets. And, and that's how you win a Stanley Cup. I mean, you know, it, it's been proven time and time again. However, uh, the, the majority owner here doesn't see it the same way. He, he, he cites teams that have torn it down to the studs and, and have seven or eight years, like Buffalo, mm-hmm. uh, of mediocrity. And so there's no guarantee that when you tear it down to the studs, that you can build it back up and build a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. <laughs> so I, I think as long as this majority owner continues to own this team, and he will, um, I don't think you'll ever see them completely tear it down. Now, when I mean tear it right down, that would mean to me uh, getting rid of Jonathan Huberdeau and Nazem Kadri. Those guys combined for $17.5 million a year in salary, and they may be your two worst players right now. Uh, so you're not going to be able to trade those guys uh, I, I shouldn't say never. Guys, we've seen around the league a million different contracts where you're like, well, that will, <laughs> you'll never be able to move that one. But, you know, there's ways to do it, right? Uh, throwing in draft picks and, 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 and picking up half the tab. And so they're going to explore all those options. But for right now, for the next two weeks, it, everything is in a holding pattern. And that's why they've called up all these contract talks because they need to know if this team is capable of rebounding, and, and I don't think many people think they are. So, Eric, and obviously, like you just mentioned, there's still games to be played before Calgary even gets to that decision. You just typically don't see trades at this time of the year, and especially if you've got two big pieces like that. But the main reason we wanted to have you on is if it does get to that point, we've seen this in the past in the NHL where two struggling teams look at each other and say, hey, maybe we need guys who need a change of scenery uh, purely speculation here, but could you see a match between Calgary and St. Louis if Lindholm and Hannafin are available and both teams still struggle? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do think, and I, I probably skirted around that your last question, but like, I absolutely think both those guys will be traded for sure. Um, I thought they were going to be traded coming into the season because I don't, I think that their interest in this situation, the city, um, it has waned, and they, they kind of expressed that when they left the CD last year. Um, and I think only significant numbers offered up to them made them rethink, oh, maybe I will stay here and take that money. Anyway, I, I do think that there's a possibility of, of two teams that are struggling trying to help each other out. But I think if, if the next week goes as poorly or the next couple of weeks goes as poorly as they have been the last couple of weeks, uh, the Calgary Flames will be looking at not so much just try to how, to how do we fix ourselves for this year. It's how do we fix ourselves for two, three, four years from now. I, I, I do think that will be the, the, the new focus. Um, but I guess anything's possible. And, hey, the highest bidder is the one who's going to get those two guys. So if St. Louis comes in with a real attractive package, absolutely they could make a deal. Does that attractive package, Eric, in your opinion, is that more NHL-ready players? Or do you think that could be guys who have the – higher perspective, like a, a, a younger prospect? You know, I, it, it's a great question because, you know, we don't ever hear from the owner and, and he's going to be the one that's going to kind of call all these shots. I would suggest that probably, you know, obviously Hyde, I think both Hannafin and Lynn Omar, you're looking at at least a first rounder 
and a serviceable NHLer at the, at the very least. I mean, I, both of their cap hits are very reasonable too for this last year of their contract. So I, I think they'll they'll fetch a pretty penny, and I think you'll get a nice mix in there of draft picks, uh, NHL ready players, and guys who are on the cusp of breaking through in the NHL as well. So uh, it's kind of a uh, I'm not giving you a direct answer because I don't know right. what this owner's thinking, but I think that that's what they've been looking for, for sure. Eric Francis is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can read his work over at Sportsnet. You can also follow him on Twitter at his name, at Eric Francis. Eric, how do you view Noah Hannafin? What kind of a defenseman is he? Well, I guess one thing, so he just got his 500th NHL game. I think he was the... 10th youngest defenseman in NHL history to hit his 500th game. You know, this guy's been in the NHL since he was 18 and been very durable, missed very few games. Uh, He's as dependable as they come. Like, is he flashy? No, but every year he's going to get you 35 or maybe even 40 points. He's going to kill penalties. He's going to be, you know, definitely in your top three of defensemen on any team in this league, I think. Um, On some teams, he'd be in your top two. He's an incredible skater. Um, that's his big, biggest asset, so he can make up for any anything with his speed, getting back into the play, and joining the rush. I, I can't say enough about this guy, and they love him in the room, too. He's a real nice, quiet guy. Um, I don't think there's a team in the league that wouldn't be interested in a Noah Hannafin, especially at that cap hit of under $5 million bucks. Uh I, I think that that's a guy who a lot of teams will be interested in. And, and he's also... Uh, you know, in a pinch, he's played on the power play here too, but I don't think that's why you'd be picking him up. Sure. It, out of curiosity, I, I don't know if you've heard of any of the rumored numbers as to what it's going to look like, but what kind? What, what do you think a contract extension would have to look like for him? Well, I think in Calgary, it was going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 million a year times eight years. Um, I don't know if he gets that on the open market. I mean, I know the cap's going up this summer, I know, and and who knows? All it takes is one person to pay that price. But I, that 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 was quite a premium. I think they were paying. Uh, they were thinking about paying him. I, I, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it was in the seven million dollar range, uh, seven million plus. So, you know, whoever acquires them this year is going to want to know what it might take to sign them long term. And I think that's a pretty solid number for him to look at in terms of what he's looking for. Final one for me, Eric, and we appreciate the time. Uh, Elias Lindholm, is he viewed, and I know he had that sensational couple of years with the Calgary Flames, is he still viewed as a top centerman in the league? Uh, Lindholm is uh, absolutely, yeah. I would say he's, you know, I heard some discussions yesterday. We were having some talks, you know, is he a top 30 center in the league? You bet, You bet he is. Is he a top 20? He might be. Now, he's not going to get, you know, that one year when he was with Kachuk and Gaudreau, I mean, two of the greatest, two of the top players in the league, uh, he had 82 points. So I think that's, he's maxing out there. I don't think you're ever going to see him do that again uh, or get his 40 goals. But I think that there's a guy who, I, I think you're going to see a guy who's consistently can get you 65 points and is always going to be one of the top two-way centers in the National Hockey League. Like, he, he's been in that discussion for several years about the, the Selkie trophy. I mean, that's Bergeron's every year to lose, but he's kind of a poor man's Patrice Bergeron in a lot of people's eyes. And so as Craig Conroy said here, when he was talking about trying to resign him, this is a guy who even, you know, as that contract ages and he's getting into his 36, 37 years of age, he could still be extremely useful 
on the defensive side of the game, even if he's not producing offensively. So I still think he's, yeah. Uh, any team that's trying to win a cup this year would die to have a guy like that. He's making under $5 million this year. He's, he can he kills penalties. He's your first guy over the boards for killing penalties. He's done your first power play, and he's your top center. Like, they don't grow him like that very much anymore. He's Eric Francis. Find his work over at Sportsnet. We sincerely appreciate him stopping by here today on BK and Ferrario. Eric, appreciate the time as always, man. Hopefully as this season progresses, you get to see better hockey. But if you don't, (laughs) hopefully we'll be talking with you again soon about potential trade options here in St. Louis. We've all been through some bad hockey, boys. (laughs) But but better days are always ahead. Thanks, Eric. Eric Francis, great work from him. Appreciate the time as always. Man, as he was talking about Elias, or not Elias Lindholm, excuse me, as he was talking about Noah Hannafin, who was the name that popped into mind for you? Jay was Bo-Meister? there one? Yes. Yeah. And, and you know what's so weird? Who was the guy that popped into mind when he was just talking about Lindholm? Uh, Ryan O'Reilly? Yep. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, it is the reincarnation of two guys that really changed the outlook of Doug Armstrong's tenure with the St. Louis Blues yep. available on the same team. So Now, the difference is... Bo Meester was a pending UFA. You traded for him and you got him and then you re-signed him. But O'Reilly had term, which is why that trade was so significant. I mean, if you've ever, if you're a Doug Armstrong, and look, I understand this is just the fan side coming out. But if you've ever looked at your team and said, man, we need to find a way to kickstart this retool faster. It's these two guys. And I know it's probably going to be $8 million a year for Lindholm and $7 million a year for Noah Hannafin. But you're locking up a guy who is considered, as you just heard Eric mention, a top three defenseman on any team in the NHL and a top 20 centerman in the NHL. Somebody on the text line from the 314. And by the way, you guys can get involved. It's 314 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, the Blues are not moving first round picks or top prospects for rentals. This is definitely not happening. I, I actually kind of agree with that. I, I don't think that the Blues would trade a first round pick given where it's possible that pick ends up this upcoming season once again. <laughs> um, I, I don't think they would want to trade a first-round pick for a rental. Therefore, you would have to resign these guys. Like That yeah. would have to be the assumption is you're getting these guys on a long-term deal almost immediately upon trading for them. That being said, I also think the Blues are an interesting team in this regard because they could trade, guys, they could trade players that are under, under contract long-term, which would have real value in Calgary because they're having trouble, as we've seen, getting their guys to resign long-term up there. And they can get young players that are signed long-term. Like, if you're making a deal like this, Alex, I think you're including one of Jordan Cairo or Robert Thomas. Absolutely. I think that is the starting point for even having the conversation with Calgary. And I've already seen it on the text line from the 573. Guys, I would trade Cairo for Hannafin straight up right now. I would be much more likely in these negotiations to trade Robert Thomas than I would be Jordan Cairo. I think Jordan Cairo has shown you this year I know that the scoring is down. I get that. He has shown you the steps this season that he can be a legitimate top-line player moving forward because we've seen progress defensively. And if he shows progress defensively, he can be on the ice longer. If he's going to be on the ice longer, he's going to have the opportunity to score more goals. I think Kairou could be a 40-goal scorer with a legitimate number one centerman next to him who plays 20 minutes a night. That is his potential. I haven't seen those same strides this year from Robert Thomas, man. In fact, I would say it's gone the opposite direction. Over the last two seasons, I think he's regressed a bit compared to where he was two years ago. So for me, and I don't know what this would look like in terms of the trade. We are so early in the season. There is so much more time before we really get to having these legitimate conversations. I would be much more likely to include a Robert Thomas in these discussions than Jordan Kyber. For the people that 
look at this and say, well, you can't trade a first-round pick for these guys. You don't just trade a first-round pick for these guys because you're not a team that's ready to compete. The teams that trade first-round picks for these guys are the Dallas Stars, the Colorado Avalanche, teams that are going for a Stanley Cup. But what sets you above those teams that are willing to offer up first-round picks that are 27th, 28th, 29th is if you are willing to trade one of those first-round picks on top of a player that doesn't make sense for your roster. And I understand, like, well, what if the, the pick is top five? Look, they put conditions in these draft picks that if it's a top 10 pick that it goes to the next year. But what's more valuable to you in the short term? A first-round pick that could be potentially fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth overall? Or a guy who is already 28 years old, who's established himself as a top 20 centerman, or a defenseman who's 26-year-old and established himself as a, 20, as, as a top defenseman? Those guys make you better this year and next year. Whereas if you draft somebody sixth overall, he's not helping your team for three to four years. So I, I understand the, the, the unwillingness to trade a first round pick because the team looks like it's going to be bad again. I want players who turn my team around now rather than players that I don't know what they're going to look like in three to five years. Somebody on the text line, by the way, said uh, if the Blues wanted to have a, a undervalued center that is a two-way player, they would have just re-signed Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly is 32 years old this season. Elias Lindholm right now is 28 years old. Yep. So his contract extension would kick in when he's 29. Ryan O'Reilly's contract kicked in when he was 32. Two. That's the difference. The difference is you would be locking up Elias Lindholm, hopefully, for his prime. You'd be getting the entirety of his prime during that eight-year contract that you would likely be signing him for. Meanwhile, with Ryan O'Reilly, if you had re-signed him this past offseason, you're re-signing him for the downside of his career. And by the way, the other thing with O'Reilly is we had started to see the decline already. Like, it had started to show itself, and I don't know what he's going to be when he's 33, 34, 35. Everything we've heard on Lindholm, and I'm not going to pretend to be some kind of an expert on him, is that his game is much more likely to age gracefully. Ryan O'Reilly didn't have a whole lot of speed to lose. He was a guy that played with just enough speed to be able to be that defensive-minded center that we've all known and loved. If he loses a little bit, you start to see it, and you can feel it. And I thought we had started to see it and feel it last year. That's not getting better. That doesn't get better with age. So um, if they could get... A guy like Elias Lindholm, he, he would be at or near the top of my wish list. All of this, though, presumes that they would be willing to part with some of their top franchise caliber players. Yep. And that is something that we just don't have the answer to. And I don't know that we will have the answer to. I, I would guess they won't. I would guess that they would hear these conversations out there at Enterprise Center and Doug Armstrong would say, you guys are idiots. Yeah. I'm not trading a 24-year-old Robert Thomas or a 25-year-old Jordan Cairo. I'm building around them. And I get that. But this is a very unique opportunity to be able to fill in the gap that you have currently on that top pairing defensively with Noah Hannafin and to bring in a guy that I know is a number one caliber center. I don't know that about Robert Thomas and, right and now. I'm not sure if we're considered idiots to other. Well, we are, but the Noah Hannafin side of it, like this guy's 26 years old. You're locking him up for a seven year, eight year deal. As Eric Francis said, that means he's 34 years old at the end of that contract. That's an age that some defensemen still get two or three year contracts. So Lynn Holm. Yeah. You don't, not a lot of teams trade away a 24 year old for a 28 year old. That's a pending UFA. That's going to get paid and might not live up to the contract you give them. But not a lot of teams have an opportunity to get a 26-year-old defenseman who is still going into the prime of his career 
and you can lock him up for a majority of that prime of his career. And that's why it's so intriguing to me. By the way, for those curious, uh, could the Blues even make this work cap-wise? They could. They yeah. could. Uh, if you look at what Hannafin and Little are making right now, it's not all that much more than what Robert Thomas is making. If you add in some salary filler, and you could probably do that by sending one of your defensemen in return, my guess would be the Blues would try to make that happen with Scandella. I don't know if Calgary's on his no trade no trade list or not, but if you could make that work, that's that's the one that immediately would make the money work for both sides. Uh, if you couldn't, then you could probably send like a Robert Bortuzzo, something like that, going in the other direction. You can make it work money-wise is my point. And then long-term, how do they make it work? Well, Kapanen's coming off the books. Verona's coming off of the books. You'd probably end up in this scenario trading guy like Pavel Buchnevich and long-term, you just figure things out money-wise. Um, it's it, it wouldn't be easy, but that would be the way that you'd go about it. You would now have a legitimate first pairing defensively with Pareko and Hannafin, and you would have the makings of a top line with a legitimate number one center, a number one right winger, and Jordan Cairo, and you try to build things out from there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't immediately make you a contender necessarily, but it has the makings of what could be a contender if you build around it the right way. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex has a great story for us today in the junk drawer. We'll get into that coming up in just a bit. But next, the College Football Playoff Committee, I think, actually got it right yesterday. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK. I'm already just furious about We're the, number two. the We're disrespect number two. that's going to be flung in the direction of Georgia for being number two in I mean, the I, initial college football I get playoff it. rankings. What has Ohio State ever done this season? You guys are going to get shellacked this weekend. The college football playoff committee got it right. I'll say this one more time. The college football playoff committee got it correct by putting Ohio State at number one. Uh, Georgia, who material. you played? Who you played so far this year, boys? You haven't played anybody. Now, if Georgia goes in this weekend and takes care of business at home against a top 15 ranked Missouri, then they will probably end up moving up to number one next week in the rankings. Because at that point in time, they will have proven by quality of their performance and quality of the opponent that they are as good as everybody expected them to be coming into the season. But so far, I can't say that about them because they don't have the quality of wins that Ohio State has on their resume. Ohio State beat Notre Dame on the road. They beat Penn State at home already. Those are better wins than anything that Georgia can put on their resume. So I think they got it right by putting Ohio State at number one. Uh, The only thing that I might quibble about a little bit is Michigan over Florida State because Florida State also has a couple of quality wins that Michigan does not have. But man, Michigan's been beating the hell out of everybody they've gone up against so far this year. So I'm not going to strongly disagree with that in either direction. I thought their top six was exactly correct, Alex. Ohio State one, Georgia two, Michigan three, Florida State four, Washington and Oregon at five and six. Did you agree with the committee's rankings? I did. And I I think if it's not for the, I guess, schedule with Washington and Oregon, both teams probably should be in the top four or at least one of those two be in the top four. But as it stands right now, there's really no argument with it. Like I can make jokes all they want about Ohio State that they won a game against a other ranked opponent that didn't have the full 11 guys on the field but they still won. Georgia as you mentioned, they're two 
Your schedule hasn't really allowed it, but you've been dominant. Michigan, Florida State, that's the top six. And then once you get beyond that top six, I I don't really know if there's an argument of anybody sneaking in as it stands currently. And the order can move around all you want, but I think that's the six best teams, and I believe they got it right in terms of where they ranked everybody. Yeah, I I think they got it right. And I I think if Washington doesn't lay two almost eggs in the last two weeks, they're probably in the top four. But the path is there for them. I mean, you can see it. Ohio State-Michigan play the final week of the regular season. One of them is going to fall off and is not going to have another game to make up because the winner of that game is going to get the Big Ten championship game. So it's easy to see their path. And I I think Oregon's the best one-loss team out of all these teams that have one loss that are ranked uh, 6 through 12, or 6 through 13, excuse me. Oregon's by far the best team. And if they win against Washington, I would expect Washington would have been the sixth. So I, I think they got it right. You can see the path for those Pac-12 teams to get in. So I, I have no quibbles, and I don't care that Ohio State got put to one. I, I do still think Ohio State's, I'm going to say overrated, but that doesn't seem fair. I, I just haven't I, I been think as, they're overrated, too. I, I haven't been impressed with them, but they've got two top 15 wins. Like It's hard not to deny putting them at number one. And that's the thing. This is a mat- This is a snapshot. This is not a projection. This is not a we think these will be the top teams at the end of the season. This is a based on their performance so far this year, who has had the best resume, who has been the best team at this point in the season. The answer to that question has to be, in my opinion, Ohio State. If Georgia wins this weekend, they can change that discussion. But so far, based on resume, based on performance, based on everything that you take into account for something like this, I do think they got it right by putting Ohio State at number one. Now, moving forward, if we go a little beyond just the top six, let's localize this a bit. I don't see Illinois in these rankings, which is quite a shock to me personally. They can't even keep their talent in state. Hold on. Pause. (laughs) Pause. We didn't need that, okay? Hey, we no, we really did the same thing you last know? year about my Tigers, so we I'm going to do the yeah, same thing we were for never, you. And keep we were never the top 15, okay? Not needed. Missouri comes in at number 12, which is a nice sign of respect for Mizzou. LSU Over came in rated. at number 14 on this list, which shows you uh, the committee really likes them. They are the top-ranked rank, top two-loss team so far this year. And I think another reason why Mizzou came in as high as they did, the committee still believes in Kansas State. Now, if Kansas State wins this weekend, which I think they've got a really good shot to against Texas, I think that's going to help Missouri's case as well if the Tigers take care of their own business. Mizzou at 12 tells you everything you need to know. If they went out, they're getting into the college football playoff. They don't have to worry about anything else. They don't have to worry about Oklahoma. They don't have to worry about the Pac-12. Nothing about anything that happens around them will matter. If Missouri wins out as a one-loss SEC champion, they will be in the college football playoff. Now... Let's come back to reality here for a second. What? That is reality. There's a lot that has to happen for that to take place. They would have to go on the road to the number one ranked AP team in the country and beat them on their home field, something that has not happened in college football since 2012 when Johnny Manziel did it against Alabama. Well, if Johnny so, Manziel can do it, it he didn't look at film. a yeah. lot to be able to get to that place, but... The path is there, nonetheless. I like that. The path is there. No Brock Bowers. If you're in Georgia, it's not a night game. I don't see what the problem is right here. I don't see what the problem is right here. They got disrespected by the college football Yeah, I was going to say, minus the fact that Kirby Smart is just standing at the podium right now. They think we're the second best team in the country. It's so stupid. We heard this last year. We were disrespected all season long. No, everybody Who thought you were the best team you? in the country all year Man, long. Don't be upset with Kirby Smart for using a little motivation hey, for his team. Yeah, Dion hands out sunglasses. Kirby Smart complains about disrespectment. Disrespectfulness. Hmm. That's where I was going with it. Just disrespect. 
Disrespectfulness. <laughs> no, no, it's full of disrespect. That's where we were going with this The one. final thing that I wanted to get to here about the college football playoff rankings from last night. T-Bone, I know you're going to get upset oh, about this, go. so go ahead and sit out for just a minute. Yeah, old man yells Let at me clouds. at least get to the, the matchups and everything that would take place before you start screaming. I don't know if I'll be able to Let the man finish. Back. We are soon moving to a 12-team playoff. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, so, he, said, he said, turn the mic off, damn it. T-Bone said, I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> The top four teams as of today, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, Washington. Those would be your top four. They would all get a bye in the new college football playoff format. Now, Mizzou fans are going to get upset with what I'm about to say. Despite it being a 12-team playoff and Missouri being ranked at 12. Oh, the disrespect. The Tigers would not be in this current playoff format. Oh, the disrespect. Because under that format... As a group of five team that is ranked as highly as they are, Tulane get would the, get in Get the bleep Missouri. out of here. <laughs> Tulane true. is not making it. Oh, we know they're a better football team in Missouri. <laughs> Name recognition alone, Tulane's not making Honestly, it. Honestly, they've got excellent uniforms. I'm here for it. So <laughs> the first round matchups would be in. By the way, these would be in their home, st- home schools, which I think is awesome. I yeah. love the fact that it would be a home game for the higher ranked team. Texas would host o- Ole Miss, which would be an awesome game. Oregon versus Penn State. Tulane would travel to Michigan. Trash. And then Oklahoma would go to Alabama. Those first round matchups, even if you think they leave a little bit to be desired, they would set up for unbelievable second round matchups where you could see like Texas or Ole Miss against Georgia. You could see Oregon taking on Florida State. You could see Michigan versus uh, Washington and one of Alabama or Oklahoma against Ohio State. All of which would be amazing. Listen to what you just did, though. You basically just stated who was winning the first round just to get to the, the round of eight. Just start with the round of eight. That's like, like, look, the, I like the 18 playoff, too. That's always look, what the said. entertainment. What like I'm I'm blocking out my schedule for that first round of games because I'm going to watch all of those. I think that's cool. College football playoffs are just fun in itself. And you're doing it at the home stadiums environment wise. I'm all in, but I'm turning it off at half because I think these games are pretty obvious who's coming away with the victories. And then there I'm looking at it saying maybe you should have just started with the four. next round, no, not four. I want excitement. I the think next eight round. is the right number. Eight is where as, you stop. Even as I look at these 12 teams, like, listen, as I'm watching the 12 teams, I'm going to be locked in. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm not going to watch Oregon versus Penn State and Texas versus Ole Miss. I will be. It's going to be early January, and there's going to be nothing else on. Like, I'm 100% going to be locked into those games. The Blues will be playing. Exactly. So. They might have Noah Hannafin or Lindholm by I then. I will watch yeah. that. I would prefer the eight-team format because I think it incentivizes teams to still put an emphasis on the regular season, and it ends up with some really compelling matchups. So I think eight is the right number, but they're going to go to 12, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, we don't have time to get to Tanner's thoughts on this one. I think we got to get to the I'm like shaking here. over here. Yeah, T-Bone, you've got 60 seconds to tell us what you think oh, about okay, the format. I, I think you just should, I think they should stick with a four-team format because I think it means something in the regular season. I mean, one-loss teams, they still have a shot here. I don't think you need to be getting to a point where we start talking about, oh, two-loss team can get in, two-loss team gets in. And as much as I like the non-Power 5 schools and think they should get a say, I'm okay if they're not in the college football playoff because they're all going to get shellacked. And typically, this year's a little bit different. Typically, we just see the top two seeds meet in the college football playoff championship. Usually, the three and four get shellacked. Every now and then, you get a game. But 
I, I like it better because it means the regular season means more. And now with a 12-team playoff that's coming next year, some of these games like that Ohio State-Michigan game not going to mean as much. I know they'll go, oh, it's a big rivalry game. Yeah, it has no implications for the playoff. Oh, sorry, that's essentially your That's essentially your round of eight games. <laughs> Okay, BK agrees. The 14 playoffs perfect for this year. Sorry, BK wasn't listening. He's going to let you finish. I was looking at our ratings for the month of October. Oh, baby! We're back. Number one. We are so back. Well, then we're not back. We're not. We're We're, not all. We're we're, not all the way back. We're almost back. We're solid three. With a 12.3. Look at that go. Solid three. Those are those are best numbers looking at the station right now. Well, no, that would be Tim McKernan. Almost. Tim McKernan's still wow. leading the way. Well, that's just because he's got Jackson, and what judge. do we got? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> All right, he's going to run the is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Inside Alex and T-Bone on BK. Alex, how's it going at home for you right now, buddy? Uh, <laughs> I love my daughters. Yeah. That's what you're That's asking. Good. And your wife, of course. I love my wife. But I don't love the terrible twos. <laughs> what happened? My man? wife texted me this uh, this morning. She's at home with them while I work, and you know she's working on. We're working on the basement right now. We're we're trying to move her office downstairs so she has more of a space. So while she's working, the girls have their play area. They got their toys, but the problem is there's a lot of stuff sitting around in the basement. So my two year old is she loves drawing. Right now, she loves good. to you, get a piece of paper and just color on it. You should incentivize creativity. That's yeah. good for her. Don't tell me how to parent, damn it. Fair. Touche. You know what? That was well put. Well so played. I got a picture. Just bad job by me. Bad no, form. Shut up over there. Yeah. No content. No context with it. Just a picture of my daughter. And uh, there's markers all over her. Like there's a big black mark coming from her nose down. Thought it was blood. Not blood. Just permanent marker. Uh, okay. All over her arms. And so I'm thinking, okay, not great, but you could wash this off. Yeah. And then I get the next picture. Oh, the no, next picture. The other kid too? Well, no, that would have been much better than what this picture was. The next picture was a picture of our couch that we bought. <laughs> Brand new couch, bought a couple oh, of years really? ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, uh, we actually paid for it with the money that we got from selling our house. <laughs> so I can tell you, it's not a cheap couch. Just a bunch of permanent marker marks all up and down this sucker. That's going to be a little tougher to get out. And then the context comes into the actual pictures. And I'm just going to read you what it says. She decided to color on herself instead of the coloring books while I was in the laundry room. Emma also spilled, that's my, my youngest, my whole cup of coffee on the couch. So I've already carpet cleaned it twice. So, sounds like just a recap well. for everybody. My two-year-old and my one-year-old. Have colored all over herself, colored all over our couch, and dumped a cup of coffee on the couch. <laughs> and it's not even 10 a.m. before that <laughs> happened. <laughs> and I, I say this lovingly, I hope my wife is okay. <laughs> She's got to be losing her mind right now. Is this what I have to look forward yes. to? This is, yes. this is what's coming, huh? You, you send me all these beautiful pictures of your baby boy laying there, so cute, looking up with you. Bah, 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 bah. Give it a year. When they're mobile, uh 
God love it. So this is him today. Yep. Yeah. See, look. Oh, yeah. He's hanging oh, out at daycare. Oh, I can't walk. I love doing this. But guess what? In a year, I am going to just poop all over your stuff. <laughs> He's hanging out with his cousin, their doggo that they've got over there. Yep. Yep. yep it yep. looks like a good time is being had by everybody involved. You know what the You know what the hardest part is? What's that, buddy? She's so damn cute yep. that when she does these things, it's impossible for me not to laugh. We're trying to teach them not to spit because now my daughter likes to do that all the time. And so then my one-year-old starts doing it and they do it when there's food in their mouth. And so it's like a freaking sprinkler in the backseat of a car when they're eating or when they're at the dinner table. She just does it. And I can't, I have to turn away while she does it because it's so damn funny. Somebody said, be glad you have girls, Alex. That's the easy one. So I guess I'm I'm in for a rough go of it here with baby Luca. Is that a warning? To I mean, I, mean <laughs> I was gonna say here's here's my because I have a uh, a nephew who's four year old boy. Um, he's not. I, I mean, he might be as destructive because I don't live with him. But man, what he likes to do is he likes to wrestle, and he likes to just like body slam people. Sure. They were we were at a rehearsal dinner on Friday, and he was picking up my two year old and just like throwing her around like a rag doll. Good. So. All in good fun. You ready for number three yet? Bro? Yeah, let's have another one. Am I right? Hey, the more the merrier the way I look at it. Coming up at 1.30, we'll be joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, in the 1 o'clock hour. We will also give you a chance to win your latest chance here on 101 ESPN to see Blink-182, a concert that Alex is very excited about. So we'll get to that coming up in the 1 o'clock hour as well. But coming up next, Alex, last night as I was watching the baseball game, I thought to myself, I think I'm having an old man yells at clouds moment. You were having a T-bone? I'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So last night, tuned into the baseball game, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't know if I'm interested in watching this game. Oh, I thought you were going to say Andrew Heaney would be a great Cardinal. No, no, you know who would be Corey time. Seager. Oh wait, yeah, good Cardinal call. said he was. We had Paul DeYoung. Yeah, well, now they got Mason Wynn. Everything's fine. Is it though? This morning hit. I woke up and I was wondering, like, did I, did I overstate that? Was it was that as big of an issue as I thought it was? And I see this piece over on the Athletic, and the title is "On the World Series Stage: A Bullpen Game Just Feels Wrong." And I thought to myself, all right, it wasn't just me. There were others that felt the same way about that game as I did. Alex, I don't think that that felt right. And I don't think there's anything baseball can really do to eliminate what we saw last night. This was a matter of teams running out of pitchers. Like, the Diamondbacks don't have enough quality starters to put a starter out there last night. We saw the Rangers go with Andrew Heaney because, man, they looked around the clubhouse and said, we don't got anybody else. I guess you're going to be the one that ends up giving us a start. And he gave him a few innings, but it's Andrew Heaney. Like, that is nobody's idea of a great starter. Wow. The the idea of having four or even five quality starters on a team in this day and age has become something that is almost an afterthought, man. And you look at the way that these games are being played right now. This wasn't the first bullpen game that we've seen in the postseason. Alex, did you feel kind of icky? As you watched that game last night and thought to yourself, man, we're going to see like seven, eight, nine different pitchers come into this game for the Diamondbacks? For a World Series, yes. I'll give you the exact thought process. I'll take you inside the brain of Alex Ferrario. Oh, this is a scary place. We were trick-or-treating. It was cold as you know what, so we said, let's go back inside. We opened up the candy, and we had it on in the background. 
and I was so uninspired by the fact that this essentially was a bullpen game of a World Series where Arizona's trying to keep it alive, Texas is basically trying to put it away, and that's what you go out there with. And so I said, I'd rather watch something else. I'd rather turn on a Halloween movie. I'd rather watch freaking Hocus Pocus for the 1800th time than that. And that's a problem. You just, and I do, I get it. Like, teams, they don't have the pitching to do it like they used to do, where you can have four or five legit studs that can go out there in a rotation, so you're only using your bullpen late in games. But to be able to just say, like, yeah, it's a bullpen game for us in a World Series where we have to win, otherwise we're going to be down, what is it, 3-1? to And we're going to just go bullpen because we don't have the arms ready. I just, it's, it's underwhelming. It's... We've seen that the ratings have been significantly low just this World Series alone. This isn't the way to get you more excited about it. So, I mean, I, if, if I'm Rob Manfred, something's going to have to change. This is going to have to come down to developing pitching. Yeah. Because that's why teams have gotten into this spot. Is Teams have gotten so cautious with what the guys in the minor leagues are throwing. I mean, we just we ran through this, I think it was late in the year. But, like, the top arm threw, like, what, 120 innings like in AAA? Like... That's not sustainable. You need to start developing starting pitchers, and you've got to get away from these bullpen games because I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan. The problem is, though, is when you go to a bullpen game on the biggest stage in the playoffs, the World Series, it, you really kind of regionalize the sport because then who really cares? You know, it's not the, oh, wow, I get to see, like tonight, you get to see Zach Gallen versus, who is it? Is it Evaldi tonight? Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Versus Nathan Evaldi. Like, that's a pretty good pitching matchup. And you're going, really you're going, wow, that could be six innings of just lights out stuff, and we'll, whoever makes the first mistake could cost their team the game, and that could mean the Rangers win a World Series because of it. You don't get that in a bullpen game. A bullpen game, very regionalized. Like, most of those guys in that Diamondbacks bullpen, and hell, most of the guys in the Rangers bullpen, never really heard of them. You know, bullpen arms are tough to keep track of. Starters, those guys go out there every fifth day. So you start to memorize the names. And if you pitch well, not only do you pitch well for an inning, you pitch well for six innings or seven innings. So you start to remember the names of a Nathan Navaldi who's performed in the postseason. You remember the name of a Zach Gallon. You don't get that with a bullpen arm. It's just so much harder. Like, it's tough to keep track of the Cardinals bullpen here in St. Unless Louis. Unless it's happening in the late innings. High late leverage, innings, yeah, that's, that's a little true. different. True. But if a guy goes out there and throws... You know, like last night, Mansply, uh, Mansply, Mansply, one in the third innings. Uh, nobody's going to remember that. Even if they had won, nobody would have remembered what happened in the first inning of that game. It's just different. And so as I go into it and you, you think about, okay, what do you do to change this? I don't think there's anything that baseball could have done necessarily with the rules to change what the Diamondbacks did last night. They did what they thought gave them the best chance to win. I understand the strategy. I really do. I get it. You're putting out a guy that you think has the best chance to be able to get Simeon, Seager, Garver, and Carter out. That's it. That's That was their goal was how do we get through the first four in their lineup by making sure that they don't hurt us. And it, I guess it worked okay to a degree. It's not like it was this overwhelmingly positive result for them, but If you had to do one thing, it would be what we talked about the other day. It's the double hook rule, where if your starter, and I I think five innings is what they would use. I know, T-Bone, you think six innings would be better, and I agree with you. In in, an ideal world, that would be what they go with, but I don't think that they're going to be able to sell that. I think what you do is you say, if your starter doesn't go at least five innings, you lose your DH. And so last night, if, for example, the Arizona Diamondbacks didn't have a five-inning starter, Tommy Pham is pulled immediately from the game whenever it is that their bullpen arm leaves. So Tommy Pham last night might not have had an opportunity to go up there to hit. 
that changes the strategy. If you're going to have Tommy Pham in your lineup, you would assume you want him to go up there multiple times. So instead of going with a bullpen arm to start out the game, maybe they would have allowed Ryan Nelson to go out there and start the game for them and see how long they could go with him. He ended up, by the way, giving them five and a third. It just came in relief as opposed to starting out the game for the Diamondbacks last night. I think it's something that the team needs to consider, or the team, the league needs to consider. It's just boring. Like, I, I mean, and, I, and I, look, I mean, you got a lot of offense last it's night. It's boring which is, unless your team's in it. Then yeah. it's different. I, yeah. because, and that's what I mean. When I say a bullpen game is regionalized, the only people that really care about that bullpen game is the Arizona fans. Because they know that bullpen, they start playing the matchup but game, see, and they I want to see their team win. It. Well, you're not an Arizona Diamondback fan. If if this was the Cardinals in the World Series, yeah. you'd be locked into that game, and you would go, yeah, okay, this would be exciting. No, no I think it'd be exciting. You're if in a World Series. If it turned out like it did yesterday, well, I'd yeah, be pissed. Yeah, but I'm not saying how you feel today. I'm saying going into that game, because that's the thing that, yeah, Arizona Diamondback fans are probably pissed today. But going into that game, they were excited for game. They go, okay, we can even the series. These bullpen games have worked out for us so far in the postseason. But from the outside, you're going, oh, bullpen game, who cares? I don't know any of these guys coming out of this bullpen. It's just not as exciting unless it's regionalized. And that's where I think the bullpen game is really killing baseball from this outside perspective is instead of bringing in all 30 fan bases, you really just bring in one with a bullpen game. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. And – I'm somebody that does appreciate and like I I like the strategy of it, right? Kind of thinking along with the manager of what do you do? What's the best way to go about winning? And I understood kind of what the Giants did a couple of years ago when they won, I think it was like 106 games. That team was constructed based on platoons in the outfield and and the infield, frankly, and a bunch of pitchers that go like three innings and they just found a way to construct this and it ended up working out really well for them in one season. And you kind of give a lot of credit to the manager for that. And you're like, man, that's that's a really impressive job to be able to construct that roster in a way as the manager to find a way through this gauntlet of a 162-game schedule. But then you get into the postseason, and these are games that I actually have to watch instead of just seeing from afar that the Giants are doing this the way that they are. And you're like, man, this sucks to watch. Aesthetically, it is not a pleasing style of baseball to have a bunch of different line changes with the platoons and a bunch of different guys that throw three innings at a time. It's just not very fun. And baseball is supposed to be fun. Yes, it is about strategy. Yes, it is about finding the best way to win and being cutthroat about that to the highest possible degree. But this past offseason, baseball made some changes that helped make the game more pleasing to watch for viewers. I think it helped, even if it didn't really change the results all that much, to have the rule change for the shift. Aesthetically, as a fan, I thought it was a more pleasing game to watch this year. If you ended up watching a game this year and it was your first time seeing it in a while and you saw, oh, wow, this game feels crisper. The movement, it's just moving in a way where it did 30 years ago. I think that the pitch clock was a huge help in that regard. The running game getting going again, I thought was great for baseball fans. The Diamondbacks used that in the postseason to get to the World Series. They stopped running, and they started losing, and then they started running again, and they started winning again. So all of those things I think were positive. I think the next thing up for them to change is to go to a rule where it incentivizes teams to stick with their starters and to start an actual starter in a game like that last night. It's not specifically for the postseason, but one of the effects of it would be a game like that. Yeah, maybe it's Ryan Nelson that ends up getting the start, and that's not super sexy. Like, you're not going into a matchup between Ryan Nelson and Andrew Heaney and saying to yourself, oh, yeah, this is the new Ollie Frazier. No, nobody's thinking that. But 
maybe one of those guys goes out there and has an awesome start that nobody expected. Nobody thought Brandon Fott was going to make a name for himself up until the NLCS. But now all of us know who he is because he had a spectacular start that allowed himself to become somebody nationally. That's how you build stars in the game. You can't build stars out of starting pitchers when you're not giving them the opportunity to become those stars. So I think it's time baseball takes a real hard look at this. I don't know that it happens this offseason. I hope it happens next offseason, though. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. More likely to happen is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to happen, Alex. The Blues make the playoffs or Mizzou wins on Saturday? Blues make the playoffs. <laughs> no, it's Mizzou winning against Georgia. Yeah. I. Uh, wow. I, I, wow. He's out. I'm not he's out. all the way out. I'm not out. Like I. The whole point of this season was like you squeaking into a playoff spot. And right now there's four other teams in the central that are also squeaking into the playoff spot. Then what if I framed it this way? More likely to make a playoff, the blues in the playoffs for the NHL or no. Mizzou. Oh, into the okay. College this is the blues playoff. making there a playoffs in the NHL. Right, now we're back. Now I'm back in. I'm just, you're giving me two scenarios. One game versus what? 74. Four more, 75 more games? Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, one game. Uh, if you've ever heard the Herb Brooks conversation, you know? One game. That's all we need, boys. There's a documentary about that. There was. It's back in 1980. I don't know if you saw it or not. T-Bone didn't know what you were referencing there at the team Soviets. Is that Miracle on Ice? No. No, it's not. Huh. It's the Miracle on 34th Street. I lo- That's a good Christmas movie. Um, Idiot. I would still say more likely Blues make the playoffs. I don't think Missouri's beating Georgia, let alone getting to the college football playoff. Now that Georgia's definitely got some motivation. As much as BK yeah, wants to go. Some. There was no motivation before to potentially, uh, you know, go to the playoff again. SGP. They, they are, yeah. No. Missouri's going to get beat, and I think it's going to be handedly. So I would say, and I don't believe if this really Blues believe team that, at all. You better pick them tomorrow in yeah. our pick them challenge. Sit with your chest. Hey. Better little, take them minus little the points. for the pick them. Yeah, I will tea. take. The Bulldogs tomorrow with my one-point play. God, I, 15 and a half. You better make that your three-point play if you really well, believe it. I might find better games, okay? That's, that's the start of a week where you are going to get your prostate checked out. Yeah. Just yeah. let you know with give that it time. one. You just give this time. Yeah. It's Mizzou. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Mizzou has like a 15% chance to win this game. I certainly wouldn't pick them, but they have a, a chance. Blue's got less than 15% chance to make the playoffs? Yes. I don't know if you saw the athletic, but their projections say they're going to be the fifth worst team in the NHL. Yeah, that's where they would never be right tell now. me the odds. Yeah, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenario, which we'll tell you which one is more likely. Alex, what do you have? More likely, Yakub Verana or Kasperi Kapanen receive a contract extension by the end of the season. Kapanen. This was the easiest, more likely I've ever given you guys. Probably doesn't like Verana. Did you see Kapanen was top? 30 fastest skaters right now in the NHL. Yeah, did you see the Blues had two players on the list of the top 100? I thought this team was supposed to be fast. I did too. Who was the other one? Kyra. Well, that's no bueno. Kyra's at 57. Well, they probably uh, can't track. Kapanen is at 36. They probably can't track Verona because he's on the bench. He probably doesn't. Or in the press Yeah, box. he doesn't have enough time on ice. Yeah, so. 
Thanks, Baruby. They could have had three. Am I right? This is over the last two seasons, so you know maybe. Is that factors. just forwards or is that overall players? Because I didn't look. I thought that was just forwards. I think you're correct. Because defensemen, I, I almost would guarantee you, you're going to have Pareko and Falk in that conversation. Timo, am I supposed to answer his more? No, go ahead. Happen? Yeah. Okay, we, whoa. I already what forgot the hell? what his was. So. It, it, the captain. Oh you think yeah, that's, that's right. More yeah, likely the captain and resigns than Verona. Yeah. Give me the damn bottle. You know Sorry, what? You're Tim. trending towards me pouring hot coffee on you when you I have tone I'm not problems. your daughter's couch. No, yeah, that's very true. It was cold coffee, I think. More likely. Hot would have come off faster. <laughs> more likely to reach the Sweet 16 this year. Don't Mizzou say Illinois. Or Illinois. Okay, Mizzou. Mizzou. Illinois. That's the correct answer. Guys, we just beat number one Kansas. Yeah, in a preseason game that didn't matter. Hey. Did you see that slew loss to Kentucky Westland? They that's, didn't lose, did they? That's no oh, way. Not? No, I think they won by 10. Louisville did. Louisville, Louisville lost to them. You know who's on that Louisville team, by the way? I remembered this yesterday after we talked about this. Sky Clark, who was one oh, of the no. Illinois' top recruits last oh, year. No. And that coach is basically like, we have no talent. Yeah, I agree. I watched Sky Clark play. Stop trying to make Illinois work, man. No, Illinois is ranked good. 19th in yeah. the early Kin Palm ratings. Oh, cool. 19th. What's and that's Mizzou? how many points they'll lose by. 55, but they always underestimate the Tigers. Uh, Mizzou's sure. got like a seven foot eight dude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're good. Just because you're tall to me, you got skill. Well, just because you had skill doesn't mean you could win. So they, they underestimated our Tigers. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sometimes I, height I, wins games. What's sad is like, I would actually say I would probably trust Mizzou more than Illinois because I've seen Illinois. <laughs> Illinois, like, put together OK seasons and then show up in March and then they forget how to play basketball. Kind of like the Cardinals in October, you know? So I'm, gonna, I'm saying Illinois just so. Yeah. Like, does your team have chemistry issues? I'm assuming they do because they do every year. They still, got, Illinois, they, still got, they still have Hawkins. He's the most frustrating player I've ever watched play basketball. All right, from the 314, guys, more likely to have a bounce back season for the Cardinals in 2024. Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson? Well. Tyler O'Neill. Oh, you said for the Cardinals. Uh, you gave me a loophole. I'll say Dylan Carlson because Tyler O'Neill won't be on the Cardinals next Agreed. year. I think there's yeah. a chance that Dylan Carlson finishes the year as the Cardinals center fielder. We're fine with it. I, th- I think there's a chance. I would not go into it feeling overly optimistic, but it's possible that it, we look back and we're like, yeah, man, he's just super hurt the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't think that happens. Um, <laughs> but I will say more likely he's more. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but you're back. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that T-Bone let us finish all of what yeah. we had to say and then, yeah, not This is just, I, that felt kind of like the Paul DeYoung discussion where it's like, well, you know, if you squint, he can yeah. hit 20 homers. Well, and I said, no, Paul, he can't hit 200. Paul has been hurt for three straight years. Yeah. And then he hit 157. Yeah. Yeah. No. BK, or, at least one point this past season, was like, man, Paul DeYoung might be back. <laughs> and then poor, who was it, Toronto first? And then, and San, then Francisco. San Francisco. Literally two teams in a matter of a week got rid of him. Uh, guys, more likely to happen, the Cardinals end up going into the offseason and making a trade for a number one starter or signing one of Aaron Nola or Blake Snell. I'll say signing one of Aaron Nola or Blake Snell. And I think it's just going to be Aaron Nola. I, I, gotta, I feel the Cardinals are going to throw the kitchen sink at him because it's the best available that the Cardinals see and say, this is our guy. And in that case, even if somebody jumps in last minute, the Cardinals jump in last minute and say, no, we need to make sure you're a part of our team. So I'm going to say it's uh, Aaron Nola or Blake Snell. I agree. Ask me in a month and my answer might change. Well, in a month, it'll be Luis Severino. It'll be like, hey, this guy used to be an ace. The reason I say that is because some of the reports have been saying the names that are available via the trade market, and we haven't heard Cease's name pop up yet. That's a good point. 
Um, we've heard Glass now, but he won't cost you a lot, so I could see where they could make that trade. I think they are trying to explore moving a Nolan Gorman or someone to get somebody with a higher ceiling and more control. Don't do that. I hope they don't do that, but I think they are exploring it. And that's why I say for right now, I would say it's Nola or Snell rather than the trade market for the number one, just because I have not heard Cease's name and I've not heard Seattle Seattle's pitching uh, Logan Gilbert. Their pitchers Logan come up Gilbert. in any, any rumors either. Sorry. Sneezed. Do you think they could end up with would you let me ask this question? I don't think we've talked about this. Would you rather have Sonny, light bulb? Are you sure? Would you guys rather have Sonny Gray or Tyler Glass now? I would What's rather. What's the other pitcher with them though? So I think that's important context. Let's say they get Nola, and then I'd rather have Tyler Glass now. What if they get Snell? Then I'd rather have Sonny Gray comes down to the uncertainty of glass now and the uncertainty of blake snell i don't think you can do both glass now and snell yeah you can't because I mean, you're you can only project those two for 40 combined starts probably what if you got glass now snell and bieber <sighs> and you got michaelis bieber covering for snell but see that's the problem when you lose one of them now you're into the same scenario where you got one guy and then you're trying to project two other guys in something that they're not and you're not wrong and we had this conversation well, i know in the i'm office. not wrong <laughs> You're not wrong in projecting Bieber to be an innings eater, as he just came off a year in which he was hurt. So still through innings. <laughs> Easy, Doctor Evil. Yeah, I he's he got hurt though. Like it happened. So <laughs> how angry he's getting. <laughs> he got hurt though. Just stop it. Like I'm not going to project him to cover 200 innings after dealing with an elbow injury. <laughs> stop interrupting me. He got hurt. I don't think I've ever heard Timo that. He got so angry. Uh, I said he got hurt because like he ate it. But he got hurt. Like it happened. I didn't make that up. When he starts stumbling over his words, you know he's pissed off. I, certain... I, I would be willing to do it though. I would do Glass, Nell, Snell, and uh, Bieber. But I think you should be a little more on the cautious side of saying Bieber's going to eat. I'm so innings. excited for our choose your own adventure this year. It's going to be so much I'm fun. Excited. There's so many different options. I'm excited for our weekly free agent roundup. We're going to start that next week, potentially, depending on what happens with the World Series tonight. Damn Get right we do. Let's go, Rangers. I'm going to go buy an actual cowboy hat this time, Me not too, the uh, American we can go on, flag uh, one. We can go on Amazon I'm right gonna after buy some, this segment. And I'm buy some after we get boots. back from buying our hats, we'll be talking with Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101. <laughs> <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline as we do each and every one Wednesday, typically right around 1.30 to be joined by the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber joining us live from Denver, Colorado. D- Kerbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon, I'm doing well. Walking back to the hotel from the rink and uh, gorgeous weather. Nice views of the mountain in the distance. 
Pretty cool. Sorry, I'm laughing because he said typically around one o'clock and or one thirty, and it's one thirty-eight. Uh, <laughs> listen, man, T-Bone had to let it cook in the last segment. We had to allow him to have his, well, his T-Bone's updates are like four minutes long wow. these days. So. <laughs> Sorry, Curbs, we would have had you three minutes ago. All right, Curbs, let's get into the blues, though, not waste any more time that I know is precious for you while you're out there in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Uh, Curbs, how does this team get the offense going? Uh, no idea. What else you got? Okay, there we go. Good uh, enough. Let's... <laughs> no, I mean, like, you know what? I, I think it starts with, number one, just shooting more when you're getting the opportunity. I, I it, it sounds basic, uh, but... I, I think that's kind of an important part of it is, you know, I, I think at times they're sometimes looking for that extra pass, but not only shooting more, I guess, but getting them on net. I mean, that's, that, that's gotta be part of the issue here as well. So um, I've, I'm confident with the players that they have, that the offense is going to find a way the power play getting rolling is going to be a huge part of that. If they can get it rolling, I'm more encouraged with the fact that defensively, for the most part, they've been really solid. Now you hope that as you start to approach game 10, that next phase of your game can come into play here, and, and we'll see what happens. This will be, a, this will be a, a nasty test tonight in Denver. It will, and, you know, Curbs, I was, I was reading something that Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews were talking about in Toronto because they're, for lack of a better term, struggling offensively at times, and Marner and Matthews talked more about more – they talked about how they need to find ways to get more shots off of the wall and not trying to wait until they get into high danger areas. Is that something that's plaguing the blues right now? Well, it's, it's something that teams are defending so well that I think it could be quite a challenge. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think what, what the Maple Leafs guys are talking about is something that the Avalanche do really well. And that's get the puck to the front of the, of the net and create some havoc and, Toronto's waiting too long, you know, and maybe not creating that havoc and putting that pressure on. We've seen the Blues withstand some terrific zone pressure while the other teams have been cycling the puck, haven't we? So it shows you keeping it to the outside isn't a major threat other than the fact that you get worn down a little bit. So uh, I, I would agree with that. That's something that the Blues have to definitely do is get more to the middle with some of the puck with some of these shots. And, uh, and then again, get them on that. Guys, like, there's been enough chances for the Blues, that if, if some of them go in, we're probably not as tense or stressed about, you know, the offense. If, if the chances were zero or really struggling, then I'd be a little more concerned about it, uh, like like the power play. You know, plenty of reason to be concerned there. Yeah, but, uh, but in terms of five-on-five, they're getting opportunities. They're just not burying Yeah, Curbs, that's something that I, w- I would kind of agree with in that I'm not as worried about their struggles at five off five. I, I think it is fair to classify them at this point as as being struggles, just because it, in the past you've had a really good power play that you can lean on, and so far this year you're getting beat at five on five, and then you go on the power play and you have that man advantage, and you're just generating nothing. And if that continues, I don't know where the offense comes from. So my hope is that they're able to get that power play going. It does look like they've made a few changes to that personnel-wise. What did you make of the changes? Do you think that is something that could ignite them on that unit? Well, I think they had no choice but to make those changes. Uh, I, I think I think getting some guys that are in a spot where they can fire one-time shots is huge. You guys hear me say this all the time, and I realize it's just my opinion on this, but you know, you just teams are too good defensively. They're too scouted. Goalies are too good. You, you've got to 
if you're not getting the deflected puck like you got with the one powerful goal they scored with Butchnevich, but you're not one-timing that puck from time to time, you're just missing opportunities and teams are going to take advantage of it. And, and the issue, Brandon, as well, is that they're not generating momentum off of those power plays, right? So sometimes you may not – you're not going to score on every one. The threat of scoring is good, and, and, if, and, and you can get momentum off of it. The power play, honestly, has been deflating, and, and I think that's as much of a problem. Is that where Yakub Verana can come into play, Curbs? Well, th- this is an interesting one, and I'm, I'm trying to decide if he's my money line go-to for tonight, Alex, because yeah. that was my initial thought, right? Um, it, it, it absolutely is. However, having said that, somebody's got to get him the puck in a way that he can shoot. And Craig Berube just literally talked about this. He just talked about the fact that that you it, it's not just getting more shots away, but it's actually the, the passes coming to him have got to be flat. They've got to be executed. They've got to be in a way that you can get shots away. And, and that's another, that's a big part of this too. He hasn't been happy with just the basic execution, bouncing pucks, things like that. So that's, that's an area that they'll have to do it. Now, Verona's an interesting one because he wasn't sat because he was struggling offensively. Greg Berube was sending a message to everybody saying, you've got to be more than just a shooter. The, beyond being a shooter, you, you, you've got to play some, you know, we need more from you along the walls. We need winning puck battles and, and not just a shooter looking for points. And that was the message he sent. We'll find out if they get it. This, this is a Colorado team that's been shut out in back-to-back games. They're on home ice again. I talked uh, for about 15 minutes with Ray Bennett this morning. They're, they're uh, all over, you know, the fact that they need to get the puck to the front of the net. They called up some big bodies from the American Hockey League, and, uh, and you know that they can wreak havoc on home ice, especially in the second period. So Blues are going to not only have to weather a bit of a storm, they're going to have to find a way to play with the puck in the offensive zone and make Colorado defend. If not, this is going to be an exhausting game for this hockey team. Going to be a tough one there tonight in Colorado. Curbs on the call with Joey Vitale. Your home of the Blues is 101 ESPN, where we will have pregame coverage with Alex and Joe starting tonight at 730. Curbs, enjoy your time out there, man. Fingers crossed the next time we're talking, we're talking about some of the positive changes that have taken place within this team. We'll talk with you again next week. Until then, enjoy the time watching this. All right, sounds good, guys. Have have a great rest of the day. Sounds See good, Timby. That's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. I'll, I'll be better next week with Kerbs. I'll be better. It was a rough ending. Okay. Rough transition to get to Kerbs. Rough ending to get out of Kerbs. It's just not. We'll look into getting those hats after we talk to Chris Kerber coming up next. Good luck watching th- this. <laughs> I mean, Kerbs sounded did, down. Did you did you wish yeah. him good luck, though, he's, watching a game? He's win- he's, uh, I said he, enjoy he's it. Is that, the, is that the equivalent of enjoy your food when you say it to a waiter after they drop your food off? Oh, this, this might enjoy be Enjoy your worse. vacation, <laughs> sir. You too. Uh, wait a minute. The worst is going to the movies and then saying, enjoy your enjoy your movie, and you saying, you too. They're not. Well, they're scooping popcorn. Yeah, they're not. They're not <laughs> well, they're scooping so. popcorn. <laughs> that's, a, that's a jerk move right there. I didn't realize that Colorado was coming off back-to-back losses in which they lost. Oh, yeah, they're going to be pissed. Kale McCarr's playing in this one as he was questionable for this game. As you just heard him mention, Ray Bennett talked about them bringing up some big bodies. Uh, I think Jonathan Druin is going to be a healthy scratch in this game. Yeah. And and he's he's absolutely right. If you want to hammer a bet on this one tonight, make the bet that the second period is the highest scoring period because Colorado just obliterates opponents on their home ice, 
in that second period because of that long change. That's going to be the the goaltender that is going to have to make the bigger saves. But I do agree with Curbs in the sense of Jakub Verana. Like, keep an eye on him because as much as people were upset about the healthy scratch for Verana, if you got the best out of him for a couple of games, that benefits your team in creating offense. <laughs> I'm in danger. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind and Blink-182 ticket giveaway here on 101 ESPN. What just happened? We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. chance to score a pair of tickets to see Blink-182. You might see Alex at that oh, you concert. Will. It's coming up on August 10th. Be in the mosh pit. Be sure to keep the text line close. 314-399-646 will give you your chance to win that pair of tickets to see Blink-182 coming up before the end of the show today. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You guys can always re-watch us as well or watch us live on YouTube the studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Alex, we mentioned yesterday the Jim Bowden piece that projected every pitching contract that's going to be given out this offseason. They all seemed pretty darn reasonable, honestly. But one of the contracts that he did project was Lucas Giolito. And we got into the contract projection yesterday, but we never really discussed what he wrote about Giolito. I wanted to mention this because I'm curious if you would be interested in, even if it's not Giolito, a pitcher like this, Alex, for the Cardinals. He says Lucas Giolito's best seasons came between 2019 and 2021. He finished in the top 11 of the AL Cy Young Award voting all three of those seasons. He needs to sign with a team this offseason that has a strong pitching coach and an analytic staff that will treat him as a reclamation project. With the right pitching plan, Giolito could rediscover what he had during the prime years of production when he was a perennial Cy Young candidate. I don't even think you need to ask me the question you're going to ask. I think you just answered the question with the statement you just read. Can the Cardinals be that team? Absolutely not. Uh, no. I mean, three years from now, maybe, now that they put an emphasis on fixing the analytical side and understanding how the pitching development needs to be a main focus, but no. You know what that screams? Tampa Bay. That screams Tampa Bay because they're the prototypical team that if a pitcher is lost and needs to be found, he's the lost puppy. And if you need to be found by your owner, you go to the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's where the, you're not coming to St. Louis if you're that player. You go to the Giants. You go to the Dodgers. You go to the Brewers. You go to the Marlins. You go to the um, Mariners. You go to the Rays. Yep. Those are the teams that you go to if you're in this spot. The Twins. Twins could also be taken into account here. Uh, Guardians, for some pitchers, have been really good at this. The Cardinals need to be able to do this. Yeah. Now, I will give them credit where it is due. Last year, I thought Jordan Hicks was a lost cause. And this year, if you look at any of the projections, he's probably going to be the second highest paid reliever on the free agent market. And number one is the guy that everybody considers to be the best reliever in baseball with Josh Hader. So... They fixed him in some ways. Now, I know people won't give them any credit for that because we can't do that around here. We can acknowledge the rest of the staff was horrendous. They were a terrible pitching staff this year. The Cardinals deserve credit for fixing Jordan Hicks midway through the season. 
Can they do that with Lucas Giolito or other pitchers like him? I don't know. They seemingly found a way to get Steven Matz on the right track last year, but he got hurt. And so we couldn't see it for any sort of a sustained period of time. So we have no idea if that was sustainable or not. I would like to believe that they could do this. I would like to believe that they can bring somebody in that is a reclamation project and they'll get the best out of him. But I don't know if they actually can or not. So if Lucas Giolito ends up signing a deal that's similar to Zach Eflin, where he's getting, I think it was like three years that are guaranteed, and it's like $13 million a year with Tampa, you can't do that here. If you're going to sign Lucas Giolito, it's got to be a one- or a two-year deal worth like 10 to $12 million per year. Those are the kinds of deals that you can do that you're, you're banking on the upside. You can't do a long-term deal, though, because you can't assume that you have what it takes to be able to get this guy back on track. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They need to become a team that can go to that spot. I mean, they used to be that before the pitching labs were developed when they had Dave Duncan running things as the pitching coach, where it was, okay, that's a spot where I can go get myself fixed. They can help me and get me fixed. Now they're not viewed as that anymore. they got to get back to that, and that's why – I think they're going to get there. They'll find a way to get there, but I don't think they're in a spot right now to where they can be taken on projects. I, I think they've got to go out and sign guys that are quote-unquote certainty. That's why like when I'm looking at that third starter, which is what we're talking about here with Giolito, I'd rather go to a Seth Lugo, a guy that, okay, he probably doesn't need our help. He found his way as a starting pitcher for the first time this year uh, because he's been a bullpen arm. I, I don't think you need to be going, okay, let's see if we can fix Lucas Giolito. Let's see if we can fix a Jack Flaherty who's going to probably be in the same kind of conversation as a Lucas Giolito. No, you probably need to be focused on let's get certainty now. We'll work behind the scenes on getting our pitching labs and all that figured out down in Jupiter. And then once we do, then we can start to take on some of those projects. Does Yachty change your answer on this? If no, he ends up no. becoming the bench coach for the no, team? No, because I think Yachty's helping the prep on the, the, the uh, catching side. I don't think Yachty's helping the pitching side of the things. And, sure. and the one thing I will I say... Think he helps. I think he helps, but I, I, I don't know if it's enough. I think he immediately makes you into a destination for these kinds of guys, but I, I think he helps. I think he helps regard. if you're bringing in a guy who already has great stuff and you're trying to get better out of it. I don't think he helps a guy that's lost his stuff and is trying to find it. And sure. in the bullpen recognition for the Cardinals, a bullpen arm is a different than a starting pitcher arm for me because your lineup see that guy three times you hope, and you got to figure out how to get the best stuff that keeps guys off their toes. I think the biggest thing here, and T-Bone, you nailed this, it's not even if the Cardinals think they can do it. It's if these pitchers think the Cardinals are capable. Yeah. Like, does Lucas Giolito believe in the Cardinals' development plan? That's going to be part of the pitch. When they go into these free agent meetings with these bounce-back candidates on the pitching market, the pitchers want to know, how are you going to make me the ve- best version of myself? And for some of those pitchers, maybe they'll take less money or fewer years with the belief that you can actually do it. I don't know if you're the Cardinals, if you can be that team. I, I would actually say right now, I don't think they can be. All right, right now, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texture number 101 with the correct answer to this question, you are getting a pair of tickets to see Blink-182. What does Alex's family eat for Thanksgiving? If you have the correct answer on the text oh, line and yeah. your texture number 101, you are getting the pair of tickets to see Blink-182. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. He got hurt, though. Like, it happened. <laughs> so now angry he's kidding. <laughs> he got hurt, though. Just stop it. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.